The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 36 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show proudly present to you this spooktacular time. <laughs> Let's welcome the trio's tag team champions of the world. The master library, Kevin Straight Out of Hellions. Sweet Maddie, Trick or Treats. And the educator of exorcisms, collectively known as the Haunted House Show. Enter at your own risk. Halloween Havoc 1997. On today's card, we see Yuji Nagata with Sonny Ono battle the Ultimo Dragon. Gato takes on Chris Jericho. Eddie Guerrero battles Rey Mysterio Jr. for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Das Wonder Kid Alex Wright with Deborah McMichael takes on Steve Mongo McMichael. The Disco Inferno battles Jacqueline. For the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, we see Kurt Henning battle Ric Flair. Lex Luger takes on Scott Hall with Larry Zabisco as the special guest referee. Macho Man Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth battles Diamond Dallas Page in a Las Vegas sudden death match. And in our main event inside the steel cage, Hollywood Hawk Hogan battles Roddy Piper. Welcome everyone to a special edition of the Haunted House Show, a thankful edition of the Haunted House Show. It is I, as always, Mr. Maddie Trick or Treats, and I am joined by my trios tag team partners to my right, the educator of exorcisms. Hey, educator, hey, what's up, man? Can you pass me? The, can you pass me the mashy peas? Oh no, I like the mashy peas. It's turkey day, baby. Oh, loving it. Yeah. Are you excited? I mean, we have a, some would say, I don't know, a, a cornucopia of wrestling, of, uh, of food, of everything. You just throw it right on the plate. Are you a throw everything on the plate and just make a pile of it? Like a Thanksgiving day garbage plate. If you're from Rochester, one trip, baby, that's all that it takes. Make it all happen. Make it worth your time and just power through. No, that's that is excellent. That is excellent. And to my left is none other than Kevin straight out of Hellions. Kevin, are, are you a keep keep them separated? Don't let the food touch. No, no, no. I'm the type to make like little sandwiches out of stuff too. like take the small rolls and then put a little bit of turkey, a little bit of stuffing, a little bit of everything else in there. I like to put the corn on top of my mashed potatoes and mix all that together. No, you know, I, I was thinking this year with so much stuff not happening, I think everyone should listen to us instead of watching the Macy's Parade today. Are they are they doing the Macy's Parade? I think they're going to play like highlights of previous parades, like a best of. 
Yeah. We should do a yeah, best of episode. Musical performances, stuff like that. You know? I, I think every week is a best of. That is true. That is true. But maybe we should do a best of. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I can throw that in after we cover Santa with muscles. I don't know. Oh, oh, maybe. Okay, so maybe, maybe. we'll just maybe we'll, we'll workshop that, get it out. What a, um, a, ver- a resolution. Very lucky. Very, yeah, a little foreshadowing, guys. Uh, very lucky for us that there's only three of us because uh, our governor would knock on the door and break up this party. Oh, I know. What's that all about? How is he? Is he knocking on all of our doors at once? Does he have clones? He may. He may. When you get a $25,000 raise during a pandemic, you can afford a clone. Absolutely. <laughs> so. I mean, I got my fingers crossed for a raise, but it'd be like, you know, a couple cents. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, No, it is Thanksgiving. Uh, I am very thankful to be spending some time with you. As you guys are aware, I don't do anything for Thanksgiving. I literally sit in front of the TV for many years. I've always made the joke, but no one believes me. I eat a frozen pizza every Thanksgiving. Do you cook it first? Well, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. It break. You know what I do? I break it out like the Yeti breaking out of the ice box. I open <laughs> it up it and then I hug it. Like he there did. it is. Um, I'll get to death. No, I, I obviously, as everyone knows, I work retail, so we we have a busy season coming up. And my parents have always worked on Thanksgiving, so when we would have Thanksgiving, we would eat like at noon, and then by you know one thirty two o'clock, my father's off to work uh, doing the TV stuff. Of course, my mom. Uh, helps out at the nursing home, works at the nursing home, so she, she works there. So Thanksgiving really wasn't a big thing, and it didn't become that way. Once my grandparents passed away, then it, it really, we just, as we were adults, we kind of just went our own way and would collect the time and a half or double time and a half, whatever whatever you get paid for the holiday. So uh, not really a, a big, big day, uh, you know. In my household, uh, big day was always Black Friday because we'd go shopping for that. Get, look for those game deals. Right. You got to go out and get the deals. They're not going to find themselves. Now, do you watch anything while eating this frozen pizza? I'm, I'm wondering if you watch, say, uh, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. And as Soup, Snoopy battles the Red Baron, you battle a Red Baron frozen pizza. <laughs> uh, very good. Very No, it's football, Kevin. Come on. It's all about uh, fantasy football. And rooting on my team um, as we dominate the natives. So, <laughs> so that's how it goes. Uh, but no, seriously, guys, we, we want to just say thank you. Uh, and thanks for you know carving out a part of your weekend. Obviously, I, I don't expect us to get a lot of listens on actual Thanksgiving. But we know you, you may be traveling to visit family. Or this year, maybe not. Maybe you're stuck at home looking to kill some time. Your boys at the house show are here for you, so uh, so so thank you for inviting us into your home. And I do want to say thank you to Fun.com, 15% off one item. All you have to do, click down in the show notes, click that link, baby, save that money. Get that in now because with COVID and probably with the influx of online shopping, you want to make sure you're getting that stuff before uh, before the holidays, you don't want to be, you know, left out in the cold when it when it comes to that stuff. But I, I, I do have something be- before we get into the pay per view, guys. Is I have a new addiction. Oh no! Um, and I blame the entire retro network for this. So um, if you join the join the Patreon for the retro network, you get to go into the VIP lounge, as as Kevin knows. Uh, educator, of course, not on any sort of social media platform so it's 
social media. Smart move. Smart move. So anyway, also happier. <laughs> they constantly post food photos of different holiday foods they find. You know, uh, sugar cookie M and M's and Elf on the Shelf cereal. Um, and they posted Mountain Dew Merry Mashup. Mm-hmm. I haven't found it yet. So Keep going. I went at a Walmart. Notice they have a 20-ounce bottle. Now, I, I drink the, the Coke Zero, the diet soda variety. But I wanted to try it. You know, let's let's try the Mountain Dew. So take it, get it, and I call it God Juice because that <laughs> is delicious. <laughs> that stuff is so friggin' good. It's a cranberry pomegranate Mountain Dew mix. Really? And it is fantastic. So much so that I then went to Wegmans and bought four six packs of it. <laughs> wow. And I'm having like one a day. And I told my father, he said, Dad, when I go home for the holidays, why don't you pick up a six pack of this stuff? It's really good. So. All I heard was you just got the diabetes. It is, yeah. It is. Um, I think 139 grams of sugar or something like that. It's like ridiculous. It's, check your sugar, it's, check it off. It's your sugar intake for the week, I think. Is it, a, is it an outsider soda? No, it's more Wolfpack. Oh. Because it's the red. Oh, see, I was wondering if it was too sweet. No, the young bucks are not involved. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, shout out to Crone Meltzer for that one. I know that. But no, in my soda rinks, that's moving up. I really like that stuff. But I blame the re- the Retro Network uh, uh, Patreon, the, the VIP channel. The VIP lounge, excuse me. There's a watermelon one in January or February, too. I know. Very excited about that. <laughs> no desire. No desire. But what do you drink for soda? What's your soda rankings there, uh, educator? What's number one for uh, you? What do you go with? A, a cherry. A cherry Coke or cherry Pepsi. That's usually it would be my absolute go-to. Um, I'm a fan of the Dr. Pepper as well. Mm-hmm. Did you just do regular diet? No, I'll, I'll try diet versions of whatever. See, I think like a diet cherry cola or a diet vanilla cola, the vanilla or the cherry flavor pops more in the diet variety than it does in the regular. Yeah. yeah. And everyone knows Kevin loves his cherries popping, so... <laughs> No, Kevin, I got a question. There it is. Kevin, now for your soda rankings, what's number one for you? Oh, jeez. Uh, Code Red. Code, just a, and they're doing a Code Red Zero, right? They're supposed to. I can't wait for Now, it. Educator, are you familiar with the Mountain Dew Soda Challenge me and I was waiting. Kevin did? I was waiting. I am not. Do tell. All right, guys. So, Kevin and I... My cousin used to work at a hotel called The Inn, was the name of the hotel in Watertown. And uh, we would hang out, as, as kids do, in the lobby of the hotel. Now, just imagine <laughs> checking in to your hotel. And you have, I don't know, 10, 20-somethings just hanging out in the friggin' lobby of your hotel. Looking back on it. I'm, oh, looking back, what in the heck were we thinking? Yeah, yeah. So, so, anyways, because he would do the overnight shift, so we would just go hang out, watch movies. There's a TV there. We'd go rent terrible horror movies from Blockbuster, bring them over. Nice. Kevin and I started, decided it would be. I think it was Jackass just came out, so we wanted to do a show called Smartass, where we weren't doing insane stunts, but we were doing weird challenges. I think we did a wiffle ball challenge. Um, we were doing 
Uh, the milk challenge. Gallon of milk. No. Terrible idea. No. We decided to do a Mountain Dew challenge. Now, a Mountain Dew challenge is we took every 20-ounce Mountain Dew we could find, every flavor. So you had your original, you had your Diet Mountain Dew, you had Code Red, they had Pitch Black was out. Uh, what else was there, Kevin? There was like six. Livewire. Live, yeah, Livewire, the orange one. Livewire. Um, um, Voltage may have been out already. There was like six of them, right? And it was a race to see who can drink all six 20-ounce Mountain Dews first. Now, Kevin being the Mountain Dew fanatic. First soda he takes, he, he chugs the first twenty ounces of the soda. Easy, easy. I mean, easy. it was like it was like nothing. <laughs> I was That's shocked. Good. I said, "What? What a!" It was like that whole thing. You can train for the fight, but you don't know what you're going to do once you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> Your game plan right. goes up. Mm-hmm. That was that was his punch me in the mouth. <laughs> Kevin, how did you train for that? A uh, lifetime of poor choices. <laughs> um, so I'm just going out there and saying it. Don't drink a lot of Mountain Dews in a row. Because how did your stomach feel, Kevin? Awful. Horrible. I was shaking. I was wide awake but needed a nap. <laughs> it's not good, Kevin. I couldn't even put I couldn't even fit like a drop of water in my stomach. It was just all bubbling gassy. How hell. many Mountain Dews did you go through? Like three of them? Oh, three instantly. And then I had to slow it down. And then I think, if I recall because we were watching something at the same time I looked over and I would see like you had one bottle left and it turned out you had just moved all of your full bottles to somewhere I couldn't see <laughs> so I actually thought you were a lot further ahead than I was so I had to pick up the face. Mind games. Mind <laughs> games. I was like the fiend of Mountain Dew. I'm hiding stuff they're moving them. I have secret powers oh. <laughs> I'm just laying there holding myself wondering why I'm single at the time Good times, Kevin. My favorite, though, was the milk challenge, and then we made the video of you to drink of milk. I, I have it floating around here somewhere. Oh, yeah, we should put that up on the Retro Network. That would be great. It's probably retro by God. now. Probably retro by now. The milk challenge is great, though, because you have to drink a gallon of milk in an hour. So my thought was, I'll just do a shot of milk every minute, like a power hour with milk, right? Right. So I'm doing it, and it started working out good. And I did chocolate milk, because I don't like milk. But I'll do chocolate. Mm. It's a little heavier. That's fine. Kevin's doing milk. But Kevin made the cardinal mistake of going to Wendy's like no Taco Bell <laughs> was it Taco Bell yeah what did you get at right Taco Bell right before oh I don't even remember a couple quesadillas I yeah uh, a poor a poor choice was driving me around that night too so yeah yeah so Kevin ate a bunch of fast food um and, and by the way Kevin you know when you're in your 20s you don't just eat one combo meal Mm-mm. You have a combo meal. You have a couple things off the value menu. Got to add on to gotta it. Got to add on you know? to it. You had a you had a Baja Blast, I think. You got to have. Oh yeah, it's a Taco Bell exclusive. You know, and then you're doing the milk challenge, and I think I got. I mean, my stomach was. You just can't do it physically. It's tough because you just too much intake. You just vomit, and I think we both vomited that. I think. Well, it's on camera, both of us. I think you could train for it. I think the on the spot challenge was poor. Well, that was the whole idea. point of it was we would challenge, and then of course, if you won, you had to do the tough enough push ups. Where as you're doing the push up, oh, forgot it's about the push ups. Kevin, De- I am Kevin Decent. <laughs> would be the push up mm-hmm. you have to say as you do the push up. Mm-hmm. And you could, and the other thing we did was the chops. 
where chops are great. where you get 10 chops no matter where you are. Same thing with the push-ups. The push-ups were we could be at church and Kevin would say, drop it, give me 10 push-ups. And you have to do the push-ups. Uh, years before How I Met Your Mother, because they do slaps giving and all that right. stuff on there. Years before that. I'm surprised you haven't told Declan this is How You Met Elise. He probably wouldn't care, unless I recreated it in, like, Roblox or Minecraft. So there he was, drinking a gallon of Pokemon juice. <laughs> you know, so. So, anyways, why don't we get, speaking of madness, why don't we snap into the madness here of Halloween Havoc <laughs> 1997. Uh, this takes place on October 26th of that same year. We are back at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. And uh, Slim Jims is back. Really, guys, this is a continuation of the previous pay-per-view. I mean, you could have played these back-to-back. And, I mean, it literally, the main event, which is Hogan versus Piper, that's how the last one ended. The Slim Jims, that, I, I, everything's the same. This could have taken place the next night, for all we know, and they held on to the tape for a year later. It's just crazy how Hogan and Macho were enemies. Piper does a run in, and now we got Hogan versus Piper, and Macho does the run in. I mean, maybe it would have been a little better if Piper was a year younger, or five, or ten. Yeah. So, um, so we get our Hogan Piper intro, um, and then we really go right into match number one on the night, which was Yuji Nagata with Sonny Ono taking on Ultimo Dragon. And for this call, we bring in Mike Tanay for the first, like, three to four matches. So it's Mike today, Dusty Rhodes, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Tony Schiavone. Really, like I said, it is a continuation of the previous pay-per-view. So uh, why don't we get right into it? Why don't we go right into match number one? What did you guys think of this opener? Uh Oh, uh, Sonny Ono, the king of the selfie in the disposable (laughs) camera. Taking selfies before selfies were even a thing. I love it. One of those, the many, many WCW innovations, you know, that we see while looking back. Um, I, I like the match a lot. I was actually shocked when, uh, Mike Tanay, cause anything relevant to the match is going to be credit Mike Tanay for this, but, uh, I was enjoying it. And then when he said, it's only their second meeting, I was shocked. I was like, this seemed like two guys that were well familiar with each other. If you're the at-home viewer of this match, um, there, a commentary does a lot to help you understand the ending and the finish. Uh, being in the in the live crowd, you may not know the history of the supposed injury that Ultimo Dragon had to his elbow and the bone chips. So it, it's crazy how this the the finish is just really really quick after you know been working on the arm for the match and then. Boom, quick tap out. Uh, funny you mentioned crowd, though. And I'll, I'll just do it now because it's it's saying, segueing a little better. I wrote while I was watching this, I wonder if this match would have been better with a smart crowd. Like, put this in front of a Philly crowd, you know, or like a hot indie crowd. Like, a crowd more familiar with Japanese wrestling than this crowd if they would have been really into it and ooing and aahing and, you know, react into certain spots, and then it would have elevated the entire match along. Well, I think whenever you get a hot crowd, it's going to elevate the match. Uh, you know, um, I it's funny because when you see later, when you get to 
you know, Jericho seems over with the crowd. Of course, Mysterio and Eddie are, are, are really over. So um, I don't think it's the fact that the crowd wasn't smart. It's just probably a fact that they weren't too familiar with uh, Nagata and Ultimo Dragon, even though these two put on a banger of a match. And we were talking in our pre-show production meeting, if you will. Uh, this I loved this match. I thought it was awesome. That was a good match, yeah. I mean, this could be a top five contender, in my opinion. There were three matches on this card, spoiler alert, that I thought could be top five. And this was one of them. I, when this match happened and knowing things were coming later, I was like, I can't set the bar that high yet when I know what's coming. Yeah, I get it. The, the Eddie's match with Ray has such a high following. Um, so it, it's going to be hard to really uh, compare this one to that one later in the match. I mean, it is, you know, a couple matches away. So educator, let's see here. Great match. We're starting it off. We ended last pay-per-view. I, I know mm-hmm. where you're going with, with Kevin Hallians. Mm-hmm. Now, we said this was a continuation of Halloween Havoc 1996. Do we start? Do we start with the mass libraries now? Patreon exclusive notes for match number one. It would only be fitting Hellions, right? I mean, you had to finish the show. Why not, you know, jerk the curtain on this one, baby? You ready? Right. Why not bookend? Not this time. Nah, I had All right. So we got Yuji Nagata coming to the ring with Sonny Ono. And Yuji Nagata looks like he's wearing a, I don't know, catcher's chest protector on for his gear. Very, very interesting choice of uh, entrance gear. Ultimo Dragon making his way to the ring, looking as stellar as always. We see the match start with Ultimo Dragon with a shoulder tackle and then eventually a leg sweep to take down Yuji Nagata. We see uh, Nagata Irish whip Ultimo Dragon in the corner, and Ultimo Dragon does his noted headstand uh, up in the corner, and then he does like his little double foot scorpion kick to uh, knock Nagata down. Nagata gets back up. We see rapid kicks and a roundhouse kick to knock Nagata back down again. We see a headlock attempt by Yuji Nagata, and we see uh, basically like a dragon. Uh, Ultimo Dragon is able to counter with a Sayudu-like side suplex to take Nagata down. Nagata does come back with the upper hand, a bunch of kicks and stomps, and then eventually hits a pile driver onto Ultimo Dragon for a two count. And then gets a standing vertical suplex onto Ultimo Dragon as well. And another pinfall attempt, only two from referee Charles Robinson. We see Yuji Nagata do a lot of stiff kicks to Ultimo Dragon. His third attempt for a stiff kick to the chest. Uh, Ultimo Dragon catches him and does a vicious looking uh, dragon leg, uh, or dragon screw leg whip. And uh, really cranks on that knee and gets, uh, gets Nagata to turn right around hard. We see a cutaway to the crowd, and we see the entrance of Raven's Flock working their way down the aisleway towards to some seats in the stands. We see Raven, we see Saturn, we see Kidman, and who I originally thought was Sick Boy coming down. It turns out it was actually Stevie Richards with a goatee. So we've got the original, uh, the crew from Raven's Flock coming in to take a peek and seeing what's going on at Halloween Havoc. Ultimo Dragon uh, back in the ring. Oh, we're back in the match now. Ultimo Dragon tries to do a uh, slingshot crossbody from the ring out onto the floor. 
but Nagata ends up catching, uh, catching Ultimo Dragon with a kick to the chest. Dragon does recover and does an Irish whip to Nagata into the rail, and then he climbs up to the apron and hits his known uh, second rope springboard, Asai Moonsaw, onto Yuji Nagata, uh, twisting back onto the towards the entranceway on the floor. Nagata again sets up for a superplex back into the ring, but Ultimo Dragon is able to essentially do a sunset flip and then turns it into a standing power bomb uh, and gets a two count from referee Charles Robinson. We see the Dragon, Ultimo Dragon, do a body slam and then a top rope moonsault onto Yuji Nagata only for a two count. And then we start to hear commentary begin discussing an injury that Ultimo Dragon had been working on right about the same time where Yuji Nagata grabs Ultimo Dragon by a wrist lock and then cranks his arm over uh, the back bar connecting the metal turnbuckle to the actual ring post. So we see an arm breaker over the shoulder to continue working on the elbow. Uh, We see Yuji Nagata do a belly-to-belly overhead release suplex onto Ultimo Dragon for a two-count. Nagata attempts to uh, do his Nagata lock armbar, or I'm sorry, Nagata lock, which is like a standing reverse figure four, but Ultimo Dragon is able to scurry over to the ropes in order to get a break. Ultimo Dragon eventually gets an upper hand and attempts the Dragon Sleeper onto Yuji Nagata, but his weakened arm and elbow uh, doesn't allow him to hold it too long as Nagata is able to scurry over to the ropes for another break. We see Yuji Nagata get set up to the top rope where Ultimo Dragon sets him up for a top rope Frankensteiner and is successful. He tries to do the Dragon Sleeper again to Yuji Nagata, but Nagata is able to reverse uh, the Dragon Sleeper and yank on that arm and does a quick arm bar leaning against his back. And Ultimo Dragon pretty much taps out almost immediately. And we have the winner by submission, uh, I'm sorry, Yuji Nagata. Post-match, we see Sonny Ono get into the ring. And he and uh, Yuji Nagana end up attacking Ultimo Dragon more. We see basically a, a karate kick style or front kick to uh, Ultimo Dragon's exposed arm, continuing the feud of Dragon having left Sonny Ogo's management. I wish there was more than one smart announcer, which is the whole reason they bring Mike Tanay out, because he's more of the expert for this. You know Dusty's not going to. And it's nothing against other announcers, but like you know Dusty's not going to. He has a great call in the match later on, but not not this one. Um, Bobby Heenan, I think, calls a chin lock, and that's it for the entire match. I think that's all that he does. But it was also, like we're saying, it was really, really good. And I'm wondering if part of it is you get a U.S. in front of a U.S. audience here able to do this. But because they're both Japanese, maybe they felt like freer and the communication was better and they were able to get stuff across better than, say, either one of these guys against a Chris Jericho or an Eddie Grow or Rey Mysterio. And, you know, that being the big reason why we all enjoyed it so much, because there's not that communication barrier. Like uh, there's a Mick Foley story that came up again a little bit ago that he was talking to his daughter saying, Oh, um, you know, sometimes I want to see the guy I was wrestling that night until we were in the ring together. And then we got to figure out the match. Then she's like, 
well, how, how do you communicate that in the ring? He's like, I've wrestled people that I didn't speak the same language. And you just got to figure it out in the ring. You get a feel for it. I don't know. Like, I know we saw, saw Ultimo Dragon for a while. And he's fantastic. But I don't remember seeing Nagata a whole lot before or after this, really. The only thing that got me for one of the calls, too, is because it's WCW and the Steiners are so big, they, always, they keep calling it Frankensteiner. And, and at this point, I think we got to move away from that name for your cruiserweights impressive showing by Nagata in this match. It's too bad that WCW couldn't do a little bit more with him and make him a little bit more of a prominent role on their TV. Yeah. And this was 97. He was 29 years old. He's really, yeah, yeah, he's only 52. So crazy to think about. Yeah. I really enjoy this match. I also too forgot how great Ultimo dragon is. Like, I remember watching him and and being blown away by what he would do in the ring, but just to rewatch it and just be like, man, he could move. It's crazy. Like, his run in WCW is so memorable, but his time in WWF, uh, it was what a flop. Yeah. Just a terrible flop. I mean, the, the older and older we get, the more we appreciate stuff that hit in WWF, WWE. But I think the more problems all of us have against Vince McMahon for various things, a lot of mispushes, a lot of that guy's too small, so I don't want to do anything with him. Right. Yeah, great opener. Uh, fantastic, fantastic opener. Um, so then we follow that up with the WCW hotline where we see Mark <laughs> Madden talking with the Disco Inferno. Uh, oh. They're doing this for radio. Um, and then Jacqueline comes in because we will get the disco versus Jacqueline match later in the evening. And that leads us call of the night here. Oh, you like that? Dusty. Yeah. Dusty saying, quote, her big old butt won't her big old butt won't be flying off that. Or sorry, her big old butt went flying off that. I think he was talking about Mark Madden's big old butt. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Jackie's the smallest person there. She's tiny. Do you think Mark is his real name, or it's just because he's always been a Mark for himself? It's, this is his real name. All right. Um, so anyways, match number two on the night is we get Gato taking on Chris Jericho. Now, now question for you. But Yeah, I, I don't remember seeing this match on, on the card. Was it was it not listed? Special unadvertised. Yeah, special unadvertised. Ooh. Oh, okay. It's a special unadvertised match. Kevin, do you know who Gato is right now? Um, I believe he's in Bullet Club or something right now. He is the head booker of New Japan Pro. He's a head booker? I yeah, did not realize yeah. that. He's been voted best booker in wrestling like the last like five years in a row uh, through, uh, uh, you know, uh, Meltzer's group there, Wrestling Observer. Help me out. I, I haven't been following uh, Japanese wrestling at all, but I am familiar. Wasn't he somewhat familiar wasn't he like evils like second or assistant yeah or so he was always um by akata side okay as his number you know his manager or whatever dancing around yada 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 and then they turned uh he turned on a okada and you know helped evo him and like i think dick togo of course okay. um and uh yeah he's got a feud going on with okada so his time like here in WCW wrestling for us promotions, he picked up that when you're the booker, you put yourself into hot angles pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. No, he's not really, (laughs) but he doesn't dominate like, like that. He's really good too, as a, 
it's not about him. Um, it's just kind of funny to see this relationship and that he's taking on Jericho. And then you listen to the Jericho podcast about how he got into New Japan, talking about, oh, I just called Ghetto up and, you know, uh, you know, we talked and then he did me a favor. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's fascinating yeah. to look. Um, and maybe that's because Jericho almost killed himself in the ring during this match. Oh, but, my God. Uh, but, but, but what do you guys think of this match? Match number two on the night, the special uh, unadvertised match. Um, I'm I'm familiar with Jericho's time pre ECW when he was in war in Japan. He was also a part of the the best of the Super Juniors um, tournament. I think that was in '95 that year. And so I mean, they these two guys they they have history with one another. They were a tag team. You know, they faced each other before. Um, you know, there there's a huge like botch where Jericho almost kills himself and breaks his neck during this match and I don't know if that was just necessarily just if it was nerves if it was a mistake on Gato's part or if it was just a slip that you know it's unfortunate the way they were both leaning on the top rope or whatever to me this this match really didn't showcase like how fluid both of them could could have been at you know considering their experience and path that they've had with one another I mean, maybe that's why it was the, quote, bonus match. They're like, all right, we got, like, 10 minutes here that we got to fill with something. You guys are both here. Why don't you go out? But they didn't have time to plan it out, minus ring entrances and exits and stuff like that. They only had limited amount of time. They're like, all right, let's do best we can. And then that move of Jericho's, of course. But another thing I, I noticed there with Gato's style there is... There's a lot of wrestling stuff that we look back and we're like, oh boy, 2020 eyes, that sounds wrong. That doesn't look good. And one is, oh, it's the evil foreigner character. And it's a certain style of wrestling and everything. But Gato, and they bring it up with, what was it? He loves 70s Southern wrestling. Like his style is completely different than any other Japanese wrestler coming through. And I think it seemed like the crowd especially was like, I don't know how to react to this guy. How I've been trained to react to a Japanese wrestler is not how he's wrestling. So it's kind of thrown me off here. Yeah, it's a good play on stereotypes uh, when you when you yeah. can do that. Um, and like you said, we've been trained over the years thanks to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it, it was an okay match. Like you said, I, I don't think they had good chemistry, good timing. I mean, they were both young and... Uh, you know, for being thrown together. Now, my question is, why was this match even on the card? Because, I mean, Halloween Havoc 96, they go off the air while they're still talking. 97, they also, spoiler alert, leave the show quick. Pretty I mean, close. Yeah, they do. I mean, there's a lot. There's no time to breathe to let the aftermath breathe. So just kind of interesting, the philosophy. Um, and I think... You know, we're going to get to the is 98 is the next one where the pay-per-view gets cut off. It can, yeah. Like barely two minutes into the main. I event. mean, we're talking about three years in a row where they're 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 close to to running out of time. So it's just like it's kind of interesting how much they're jam packing into this show that doesn't need to be there. I mean, adding this match, I wonder if it's just something with a new Japan WCW deal. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, we want this guy in the card, too. Right. You know, just to keep our deal going. The other issues with the pay-per-view timing is flat-out WCW issues. Right. Someone should have, 
you timed out the show a lot better. Yeah, no. Um, so anyways, Educator, why don't you go ahead and break down match number two. All right. So towards the beginning of the match, we see Chris Jericho with an Irish whip into the ropes to Gato. He ends up hitting a back elbow to knock Gato down. We see a standing vertical suplex on Gato, and then Jericho is able to hit a quick snap there and gets a two count from referee Mickey J. Jericho goes for the shoulder tackle, but Gato ends up tossing Jericho over the top rope. Jericho does the skin the cat to pull himself back in. But just as Jericho turns around, we see Gato hitting a stiff clothesline to Jericho, sending him over the top rope and onto the floor. Back into the ring, Gato hits a scoop power slam for a two count after Jericho is rebounding from a corner Irish whip. Gato does a sleeper hold onto Jericho, jumping onto Jericho's back. And Jericho eventually responds by doing a back bump, like pancake flap out to get Gato to uh, Gato to break off the uh, break off the hold. We see Jericho do a baseball slide through Gato's legs and then uh, kicks Gato in the butt or in the gut and then does a power bomb and then does a second scoop up and does a second power bomb and does a gets a two count from referee Mickey J. Uh, Jericho sits Gato up in the top corner as if he's going to be doing a superplex. And instead, Gato stands up. So Jericho follows him up to the top rope. So both men are standing on the top rope. Jericho's back to the ring. Gato facing the ring. And we see Chris Jericho attempt to do a top rope leaping uh, Super Frankensteiner, Super Karana. And unfortunately, there is a crazy botch where how Chris Jericho did not break his neck, how he did not die, just he didn't snap back quick enough or Gato didn't flip forward fast enough. But Jericho basically spikes himself pretty hard on his head. And I I was just in shock. I was in awe that there was not an injury. Um, Just and then the replay showing it afterwards, you just. It was just such a crazy, crazy spot. Um, Jericho does somehow recover from it and continues uh, the match. We see Gato uh, picking up Jericho and dropping Jericho onto his knee for a backbreaker. Gato then goes to the opposite corner, climbs to the top rope, and goes for a dropkick. But Jericho sidesteps the dropkick. Jericho grabs both legs, twists him over for the Lion Tamer submission, and almost an instantaneous tap out from Gato. Winner by submission, Chris Jericho. The, God, that move is just nasty. And as far as I can tell, because we've watched Jericho for years, I can't think of any like lingering injury or, or trauma or anything that you can bring back to this. And this wasn't like a cold move, like he was just trying this to see if he could pull it off. He had done this in ECW. I remember in particular the uh, the four-way uh, TV title match where he ends up losing the title. I'm pretty sure that he was able to pull this off, and he did it to the pit bull and ended up pinning the pit bull uh, to win the championship uh, originally. And then he did it again in that four-way match as well. Like, I'm just trying to think of, like, when Brock Lesnar missed that shooting star press, but he's got that insane neck that really protected him because a lesser man would have broken his neck on that move. 
but Jericho doesn't have like a build like that. I, I don't know if he was able to roll with it, if it's because he was warmed up, if he, you know, had built up like some sort of tolerance or callous. I, I don't know. But again, like you guys, I'm shocked that he walked away from that and finished the match too. Uh, Jericho, though, with like a great move in this match that I was just so surprised by and I had to go back and watch is when Gato locks on the sleeper. And Jericho drops down to one knee, and it looks like he's just selling it, and we're going to do the you know, arm dropping three times. But by dropping down to knee, then he gets Gato on his back and could pop back up and then drop back. And I was just like, man, that makes sense. Like, that just flat out makes sense. And this is before, you know, the MMA influence in wrestling, and, you know, we need these moves to flow into each other. I just thought it was so cool. I loved it. Um, unfortunately... Because I'm ridiculous. One of my favorite things of the night was seeing Stevie Richards with the ooh, that's scary sign. <laughs> and just holding up Halloween Havoc signs. I was watching some ECW also this week. And I'm like, man, I miss Stevie Richards. He was fantastic. <laughs> I'm also, I'm really upset with all the times we see Raven and the Flock. They did nothing on this pay-per-view. I know that's the whole point, but I could, like, I would have liked to see them get involved somewhere. Yeah, talk about maximizing your minutes, Stevie Richards. Talk about maximizing your career. This can be a discussion another time, but there was a window where Stevie should have been ECW world champion. I loved Big Stevie. Cool. I have a BWO mask that I wear out. Yeah, I would definitely say that's that early winter right before the barely legal pay-per-view. He should have been in the running for that title, taking it off of Raven. Yeah. So anyways, why don't we follow that up with Mean Gene interviewing Deborah McMichael and then Mongo comes in and oh boys, are you guys following Kevin? Are you following Mongo and friends on Twitter yet? Mongo and friends is fantastic. It's one of the, it's the best. And then did you see the video of Meng dancing on Saturday night? Oh, I have not. I gotta, I gotta look that up. (laughs) So, uh, one thing I wanted to point out and I don't know, maybe I'm just remembering hearing Deborah differently. I remember in Deborah's run in WWE when she was with Austin and any time that she would be interviewed on camera, there was always like a very obvious lisp that you would hear her speak with. And then I don't know, maybe it's just me. I'm not hearing it at all during this interview. Did you guys pick up on that or you think it's something that maybe I'm just not hearing it at all or, or. Am I exaggerating how how bad I think her lisp was in WWE or like this isn't I'm not knocking a thing here. I'm legit curious. Um, Could she have had like dental work done in between? Oh, you know what? Possibly. Did she get the she get the Roman Reigns teeth? Yeah, Yeah. that could very well. You're you're right. That could very well be it then. She got Um, the tribal teeth. Uh, I, okay, uh, all right. So for for Deborah's promo here, and then Mongo coming in, is there any world in which you would be like, "Hey, I'll go ahead and do an angle with my wife in front of national TV and millions of people watching and thousands of people in the arena"? Sure, why not? As she's taking half my money in real life. Well, I mean, isn't Were they it on the legit outre by this time? Well, okay, she went. She was with Mongo. She left WCW with Jarrett, so I assume she was with Jarrett. Then she meets Austin when she's in WWE. So Jarrett's already there, or maybe he's come and gone at this point. 
I mean, isn't the whole thing about trying to be a professional? So I know like the the front office is probably using it as a rib uh, on on Mongo, but when you're getting paid to be a professional, you're put in a bad situation. I mean, rest people in power in wrestling uh, do that all the time. I mean, look at how many times Jr. got beat up in Oklahoma. Would yeah, you treats as a manager of a store? Would you hire an ex if they were the right person for the job? Yeah, I don't care. I'd be their boss, so that'd be great. <laughs> you got to listen to me. Finally, I tell you what to do. <laughs> I, I want to care, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's a weird situation with with romances in in wrestling. So I get I get a I I'm gonna come back to Deborah later on, on a later match. All right. Uh, so, anyways, guys, we finally made it. Match number three: Rey Mysterio Jr takes on Eddie Guerrero, and this is the match everyone knows. This is the world-famous Halloween Havoc match. My question to you guys is, does it live up to the hype? I still think it does. I really do. Um, I think that Eddie Guerrero, his heel run uh, in WCW as a cruiserweight, uh, criminally underrated, and uh, uh, just rocking the mullet. First of all, and this is which is amazing, and uh, his facials, his just mannerisms, oh my god, amazing, just just amazing. So the match comes on, and I put my notebook aside. I said I'm gonna just watch this match. I'll rewatch it immediately after. But we've been building up. Anytime there's a best match as a Halloween Havoc list, this is number one. I'm just gonna watch it to watch it. And I didn't like it. I was just like, this? Really? This? So then I went back to watch it again to actually write my notes. And then I loved it. And I think it's kind of like when everyone's been building up a movie or a band or a TV show or something like that. And you go to watch it when there's all this hype around it and you don't care for it. But then later on at your own leisure, you watch it again and you're like, okay, I get it now. I see it now. I hope you got better notes than I do. I have some notes. So you didn't like it. I when liked you, it when a you, lot you, more. Rewatching. So the weird thing is when you turn off your brain and you're not using your critical eye for it, you don't like the match. But then when you put your your notes on and you're you're going to put your critical eye on it, you liked it. Okay. That doesn't make sense to me either. But that's but that's it's fine. Kevin. So because we've done this before. Hey, Kevin, you really got to watch this movie. It's the best movie I've ever seen. It's wonderful. It's amazing. You know what? Just come over tonight. We're going to watch this movie. And then I watch it. I'm like, I didn't care for it at all. You have spent the entire day building up this movie. And I feel like I just wasted the last hour and a half. And then like a year or two later, like say my wife is like, oh, let's watch this movie. And I saw it before and it got built up. All right, I'll sit down and watch it again. And without the buildup, I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm coming in without this excessive buildup for it. And now I'm seeing it for what it is and enjoying the hell out of it. Chasing Amy is a masterpiece, sir. <laughs> chasing Amy is a masterpiece. Love Chasing Amy. And uh, co- here's our commercial for the week. Coming soon to the Retro Network, The Educator and Kevin Hellions rewatched the Ovoir of Kevin Smith. <laughs> yeah, you and your Kevin Smith love. I do love Kevin Smith. Now he looks like uh, skinny Kevin Smith looks like CM Punk. No, he does. <laughs> Not even close. No. Are you kidding me? No. No, you're absurd. This is going to be our Twitter poll on Thanksgiving. (laughs) I will get you the photo. 
Yeah, you're wrong. Skinny Kevin Smith looks like CM Punk. It's not even. It's ridiculous how much they look alike now. Unless you're trying to make a greater point of I'm going to say you're wrong, and then when I revisit this later on, much like revisiting this match, I'll agree with you. I mean, yeah, that's the way it goes. Dude, he looks like CM Punk now. I'm going to say I'm going to post it Thanksgiving on, on Twitter. They do. We got. I, let me feeds. get the two photos, and I'll send it to you. I'll put up a poll. Hey, it's Thanksgiving. Should we t- spend time with your family? But instead, here's this ridiculous argument. <laughs> Unlike the ridiculous arguments you're going to have with your family. Skinny? He looks like, you know what it is? UFC. It's, it's UFC CM Punk. No, no, because no. that picture you sent me of Kevin Smith doesn't have like a puffed up face and a broken nose and a black eye. I'll get it for you. I'll, bring, I'll get you the two images. No. Don't you worry. He looks just like him now, though. All right, so Kevin, you didn't like this match. Educator, you like this. I didn't. Match. And then I, I like didn't. this match. I mean, it's a great, it's a great oh, match. I, I mean, it's fantastic. Eddie's awesome in it too. Uh, on second viewing, I'm willing to put it into top five. Oh well, discussion. thank you, oh grand wizard oh, of wrestling yeah. over here. That's something else entirely. Okay. I'm glad we're getting the nod. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, educator, you know what? I don't even want to hear Kevin's notes, and I know you were going to pick him for this match, but screw him. I want to hear the educator notes. I want to hear notes from someone that liked the match. Are you guys calling an audible? You're calling an audible, man. I love it. (laughs) All right. So we see amazing back and forth action to start off the match. Both men are essentially uh, reversing each other, uh, you know, getting out of each other's way. Eventually, we get to the point where both men end up on the floor with Eddie launching Ray into the ring steps uh, to start slowing everything down. We end up seeing Ray back into the ring, hitting a drop kick. But ends up uh, Eddie catching Ray and doing a belly uh, backside suplex. We see a standing vertical suplex uh, for a two count by Eddie Guerrero by referee Billy Silverman. And then eventually Eddie Guerrero hits a tilt a whirl backbreaker for an additional pinfall attempt, still only getting a two count. We see an abdominal stretch being put on Ray by Eddie Guerrero. And here's the first time that Eddie starts ripping apart towards the mask, trying to rip at the eye hole to tear the mask to expose uh, Ray Mysterio's face. We see Eddie Guerrero with a pump handle pickup, and then he ends up dropping uh, Ray Mysterio over his knee for a backbreaker. We get a two count from referee Billy Silverman. Then we see one of the better spots of the match where there is a test, test of strength going on where Ray's back is to the ground. Eddie's on top. Uh, both of his hands are pushing down on Ray's. Ray is able to pull up from the mat itself and does a springboard to the top rope. And then he does a backflip back into the ring. And in the process of flipping down, he catches Eddie with a headlock and spikes him uh, with a front face lock and spikes him into a DDT. It is an absolute amazing shot, without a doubt, uh, an amazing spot, without a doubt, one of the best move sequences that that this entire pay-per-view is going to show. We see Ray eventually drop kicking Eddie out to the floor. Eddie ends up getting back into the ring quickly. And as Ray was giving tra- uh, chase to him, Eddie ends up drop kicking Ray himself out onto the floor. Eddie Irish whips Ray chest first into the guardrail. And back in the ring, Eddie Guerrero gets 
uh, Rey Mysterio down, and he's now working on his back with a camel clutch. He is continuing to dig and rip at the eye hole of Rey Mysterio's mask, and he does tear it significantly, exposing a good one-third to almost half of Mysterio's face. We see Eddie pick up Rey Mysterio for the gory special backbreaker. Uh, it's a submission, but Ray is able to escape essentially by doing an arm drag. We see Eddie Guerrero with a power bomb and then a backbreaker uh, from that power bomb scoop up, dropping down on his knees while Ray's entire body just flails into uh, Eddie's right shoulder. Eddie Guerrero does an Irish whip. And he ends up doing a crescent kick to Ray to knock him down. We got another two-count pinfall attempt. We see Eddie Guerrero with a bunch of chops in the corner, but Ray eventually battles back. When Eddie tosses Ray into the opposite corner, he ends up getting stuck in the tree of woe. This is Ray Mysterio stuck in the tree of woe. Eddie goes for the baseball slide to do a low drop kick onto an exposed Ray's face, but Ray is able to basically do a sit-up, and Eddie Guerrero ends up doing a baseball slide where he crotches himself into the corner ring post. Ray Mysterio ends up doing a crossbody from the top rope turnbuckle over the turnbuckle post and onto the floor towards Eddie Guerrero. Back in the ring, we see Eddie uh, fall victim to a standing hunakarana by Ray to get a two count. Ray ends up doing a head scissors takedown in order to get Eddie out to the floor. We see an another amazing combination of moves where Ray runs the ropes and does a spring, uh, basically a front somersault flip over the top rope. And then as his legs uh, hit Eddie, he ends up doing a head scissors to Eddie and spinning Eddie around onto the floor. Ray then throws Eddie back into the ring. Ray climbs to the top rope as if he's going to do a moonsault, but he ends up doing like a twisting senton uh, backsplash onto Eddie for a two count. Ray does a body slam and attempts to do and like an Arabian face buster, split-legged moonsault, but Eddie ends up putting up his knees, and Rey Mysterio crash and crashes and burns hard across Eddie's knees. We see Eddie Guerrero scoop up uh, Rey Mysterio and hits a vicious, vicious power bomb and folds up Rey's body. He gets a very long two count. Eddie is now visibly frustrated that that power bomb did not finish off the Rey Mysterio for the match. Eddie Guerrero does a fireman's carry onto Ray, where he flops him into the turnbuckle. Eddie charges at Ray, only to uh, essentially get uh, to try to launch him into the turnbuckle. But Ray ends up moving and then doing a spin wheel kick to knock Eddie Guerrero down. Ray Mysterio attempts an apron springboard to the top rope. Uh, as if he's going to do another Hunakarana, but Eddie ends up catching Ray and up, ends up dropping him for another backbreaker over his knee. We see Eddie Guerrero climb to the opposite turnbuckle to set up for a frog splash. Uh, Ray Mysterio ends up moving out of the way, and Eddie kind of does like a forward tumble roll through. And uh, Eddie follows up by crouching Ray over onto the top turnbuckle. As Eddie tries to do a second rope outsider's edge splash mountain uh, like powerbomb, 
Ray is able to twist his body, and as Eddie is jumping off the second rope to do the move, Ray turns it into a Huna Karana and into a tight roll-up for a 1-2-3 pin. Your winner and new Cruiserweight champion, Ray Mysterio Jr. Yeah, this is a, a fantastic match. Kevin, you're not even reading your notes for this. Not now, man. I mean, I had you lost. Your, you know what? No, you lost. No, it doesn't matter. You know, you lost. You know, you had to do a second watch in order to realize. Oh, oh it's good. Oh. <laughs> so no, we don't get your notes. If you want his notes, go to Patreon. Oh, it's not even to get to comment. No, you don't. You don't nope. get to. See, you've already commented on the match. You didn't like it. But then I did like it. You can't play both sides of the field here. You're flip flopping like you're John Kerry. Boom. Very topical. <laughs> Why don't we move on? We get Mean Gene talking about the hotline. And then we get to, then we get to see the NWO locker room where we get Bischoff and Hollywood Hogan, and then we go right into match number four on the night, which is Mongo Steve McMichael taking on Das Wonder Kid Alex Wright with Deborah McMichael in his corner. Uh, we get to see Goldberg during this match. What a classic, huh? Um, you know, last last week you guys were very excited about. Mongo and Benoit and the Faces of Fear in that match. Does does Mongo go two for two with this one? Oh dear, nor no, 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 no. The, no. This this match is proof why Mongo should have stayed as a as a tag guy. Uh, limited mm. in and out. He he can't do a one on one. Not good at all. Not good at all. Yeah, that's that's a good point, especially considering he's a former U.S. champion too. But you're right, protecting him in a tag would have worked. Whatever his deal was, was clearly I get to wrestle and be put into prime positions here. Keep him, keep him protected. That's like with you, Kevin. We we don't let you. If if anything, the run in a couple weeks ago proved you can't go solo. So, (laughs) all right. So speaking of people that may or may not be able to hack it, Alex Wright, any good? Lucky to have a job. Maybe he was friends with someone and consistent. Uh, big kid, lanky kid, Very really lanky. well in shape. Uh, it didn't make sense to me how he was cruiserweight champion at one point. There's just what was no limit two fifteen. You can't convince me that he was cruiserweight. I mean, he was of cruiserweight size. Uh, but I mean, TV champ, I can buy into that. That's fine. You know, contender for the U.S. title, uh, fine. Um, but you know, he was never going to be a main event guy. Uh, you know, he had the look, you know, for, you know, to attract the younger girls kind of deal. Um, but he, I mean, he wasn't just, he was never going to be a main event guy, but definitely much more, uh, much more functional and accomplished than what McMichael ever thought of being. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, honestly, my favorite version of Alex Wright is the Berlin character. I loved that. Yeah. 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 I didn't, I, Alex Wright was, you know, he's a mid card guy. Like, you know, it's kind of there. He wasn't. He's not bad. I didn't. Think it he is shocking. Terrible. He never even got a, like a, a short run in WWF, like invasion angle, buyout, anything. Right. Yeah. I think there was just opportunity for him to go home back to Germany and and be on the European wrestling scene. Yeah. Plus, I mean, he had he had some health issues too. I mean, wasn't the whole point why he changed his character and he ended up shaving his head because he had like. So, I want to say like brain tumor or something like that, but he was, they were able to take care of it. I'm not sure. Um, So anyways, educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? All right. So at the start of the match, we see Alex Wright with a kick to the gut to McMichael and he forearms Mongo a few times. 
Um, and then he ends up doing uh, an arm bar to Mongo, but Mongo is able to reverse his that arm bar and give one back to Alex Wright. He ends up body slamming Alex Wright and getting a two count from referee Charles Robinson. Mongo starts working on a headlock. Alex Wright is able to escape and do an arm drag uh, onto Mongo to get him down to the mat. Alex Wright starts to work a wrist lock to take Mongo McMichael down. And we see a bunch of stomps to Mongo's shoulder and upper body. Mongo is able to do a reversal and essentially does the same thing, uh, using a wrist lock to take Alex Wright down. But Mongo's now dropping elbows and knees to Wright's body to continue to work the upper body. Mongo looks very awkward uh, at one point. They're doing a move, a spot on the ropes. Mongo barely glancing off of the ropes as they're running the ropes. Uh, We see Alex Wright with a shoulder tackle to knock down McMichael, which, you know, that doesn't make sense to me given the fact that McMichael is a football player and he should have better, you know, much better balance, I guess. We see Mongo with a hip toss and a body slam to Alex Wright. Again, we're looking at real basic maneuvers, nothing significantly complicated. And now Mongo's been wrestling for over a year, year and a half now. Uh, we see Mongo with an Irish whip into the corner uh, to Alex Wright. He charges in to go after Alex Wright, but Alex Wright picks up the big foot and ends up booting Mongo in the face. Alex Wright attempts to do a tombstone pile driver onto Mongo. And the spot looked like it meant to have Mongo kind of twist out of it and immediately pick up Alex Wright for the reversal. But unfortunately, when Mongo twists out, he ends up dropping on the canvas. So they have to improvise and do a kick in the gut spot to pick up Alex Wright. And Mongo does does is and is successful in doing so. And we see Mongo doing a spike pile driver are the Mongo spike, so to speak, tombstone pile driver onto Alex Wright. And then we get a very, very awkward out of angle positioning of Deborah's involvement in the match, where after the tombstone pile driver, she now gets up on the apron to distract referee Charles Robinson. And during this distraction, we see coming out of the crowd, Bill Goldberg, who jumps the guardrail and gets into the ring. And he's like circling two thirds of the way around the ring to try to keep uh, Charles Robinson's back to him so that he can spear uh, spear Bongo McMichael. He ends up hitting the shoulder tackle spear. Unfortunately, it's a weak looking one because Alex Wright's body is kind of in the middle of the ring, blocking Goldberg's attempt to charge the ring and do the spear appropriately. We see Goldberg hitting the jackhammer onto McMichael. He then awkwardly picks up Alex Wright and kind of flops his body down onto Mongo. And during this whole time, we see referee Charles Robinson keep glancing behind, wondering if the spots are over, if the spots are over. It was just terrible referee positioning, unfortunately. How McMichael or how the ref didn't hear uh, Goldberg dropping McMichael down for the, 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 you know, just the whole kayfabe thing. It just it didn't come off very well at all. In the end, we end up having Alex Wright getting the pin and victory over Steve McMichael. Post match, we see Deborah walk over to Goldberg and hand Goldberg something. Commentary is suggesting that that was Steve McMichael's Super Bowl ring. And when Alex Wright goes to, you know, I guess maybe say thank you or high five Goldberg. Goldberg ends up attacking Alex Wright 
and he throws Alex Wright in the ring, does a uh, spear and jackhammer onto Alex Wright. So both McMichael and Alex Wright laid out by Goldberg in the match. The <clears throat> Alex Wright and Mongo slamming into each other makes no sense. There's one big Mongo mistake here where he has like almost a goose step to get out of his like stuttered run across the ring here. And then the, the Goldberg stuff. Like, people think of Goldberg and the streak now, and he was world champion and all this great stuff. But boy, WCW came close to messing all that up and losing it a few times. Like, this Goldberg here that they're trying to do this stupid angle with is not the same one that they finally said, oh, we have something here, let's push him to the moon. Right. Like, they could have absolutely buried him and destroyed him here on the stupid angle. I, honestly, one of the things I think saved it is, and then he just beats the hell out of Alex Wright for no good reason, and is his own person. But this whole like Super Bowl ring feud thing with Mongo could have been absolutely horrible. Oh God! Imagine if Deborah was like Goldberg's manager consistently, <laughs> coming out to the ring with him all the time, cutting promos for him. Well, she's got a type. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even set that one up. Yeah, the the Goldberg, um, you you remember the streak so much that you forget that they did other stuff with Goldberg like before. It's kind of like the whole thing with Hogan, too, before, or at least with even like Nitro. Like you always think of the Attitude Era, you think of the NWO happening on Nitro, you forget that there is that weird time in between Luger coming out and then the NWO happening. There's that weird, like, you know, five, six month period of Nitro going on where what are the what are your big storylines? You know what I mean? Like it's 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 Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy to think about what happens. You remember the benchmarks, you know, and the highlights. You don't remember like the everyday minutia of everything. So so why don't we go into the NWO locker room once again? where we see the macho man, Randy Savage, with Miss Elizabeth. Now, I have a question for you guys. Miss Elizabeth, how old is she right now? Uh, I already know. Do you want me to? I can bring Deborah into this, too. How old was she? Because they're the same age. They're 37. Okay. She looks fantastic. She looks better here than she looked in her classic WWF run. Now, is it because of the leather skirt? (laughs) I think it's her confidence, too. Yeah. Is it the character that she's playing? The cocky? Yeah, it's different from being the elegant, you know, the elegant, elegant diva. Uh, not, But not even really a diva, but just the elegant, you know, super soft, super sensitive girl from the 80s and early 90s to now the sharper-edged uh, NWO character. Yeah. She did look pretty hot. She's giving so, off Olivia Newton-John at the end of Grease vibes. There you go. Here, here, here's a test if my wife's listening to us in the other room or not. There's a difference between, oh, and I'm talking to Miss Elizabeth here. Oh, I'm in my 20s and I'm cute versus I'm in my 30s and I know what I want out of life and I carry myself with a certain confidence. Right. And it's crazy here in that like Savage and Elizabeth are long since divorced long yeah. since separated and they're still continuing the professional relationship because I mean, that's all that you remember macho man, Randy Savage just being involved with, with Elizabeth as his second, his manager, uh, you know, in his corner. So just crazy. 
always always looking out for. Yeah, I just I thought that was interesting when I was when I was seeing it, and I thought Miss Miss Elizabeth just looking foxy. I, well, I think like Macho Man Elizabeth was such a crossover thing. Like people that aren't into wrestling know who Macho Man and Elizabeth are, and they remember the love story and everything. But this NWO version of Elizabeth is grossly underrated. Um, so speaking of a woman with confidence, guys, let's move on <laughs> to Jacqueline versus Disco Inferno here. Match number five, the intergender, the intergender match. Um, what did you guys think of this? I, I, don't, I had no recollection of this match of, of, of the feud or anything like that whatsoever. The only time I ever remember guy versus girl in WCW was Medusa um, in the late WCW run where she ended up becoming, I think, cruiserweight champion at what Evan Courageous's expense. Yeah, I like that. Um, too. Yeah, I, do, I, I didn't even remember. I don't remember what the storyline was going into why Disco Inferno and Jackie were um, were competitors now. I remember at one point, wasn't like Jacqueline, like an on-screen romance of Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, at some point? Hmm. Or, or am I am I completely missing that? I'm not sure. Like, part of wrestling is, let's put something on the card for everyone. And where, where the nice wording is someone like an Andre the Giant is an attraction. Right. You could also say, freak show. So this is kind of like, oh, everyone come out, pay your two bits, watch a woman beat up a man. Yeah. No, I'm I'm thinking back, Jacqueline. Yeah, because didn't she like lay over Kevin Sullivan's body when Benoit did the swan dive through the table through both of them? She was oh, trying to protect him. Yeah, I mean that sounds familiar to me. So, um, I just just remembering Jacqueline's history in WWF post her run in WCW, um. The the fun bags come out, you know, they do. And I just her coming to the ring and you just the way that they're showing her walking to the ring and how they're zoomed in on her upper body. You're just like, it's obvious she's going to have gear problems in this match. And she's she fell out at one point and even the crowd went nuts and commentary even talked about it. And then there's just she's constantly adjusting um, adjusting herself to not expose herself during the match. And unfortunately that took a, took a lot away from what limited offense that she was able to get in. I mean, at this point too, look, looking career, how many are accidents and how many are like, Oh, we know she'd be up for it. Right. You know, and, and some people have that mentality of, I don't care if you see, it's not a big deal to me. I paid a lot of money for this. I may as well show it off. Right. Which is shocking that we don't get a Disco Inferno wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> you know? Um, so anyways, Educator, um, so we, we audibled from Kevin calling Ray Mysterio versus Eddie. I mean, this one's right up his alley. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of this one. Okay. Oh. okay. Sorry. Not gonna happen. I was hoping. I was hoping one of his notes would pop out during. during <laughs> yeah, right. Um, unfortunately, the entire story, or the majority of the storyline for this entire match is Disco Inferno not wanting to engage at all with Jacqueline. He thinks it's crazy, it's ludicrous that he has to wrestle a woman in the match. He's in a tough spot, no matter what he does. He's either gonna be a coward heel 
because he won't fight her and wants to like quit and run away. But if he does try to engage, he doesn't want to hit a, hit a woman or put his hands on a woman. So no matter what, there's lots of stalling to avoid, uh, to avoid engaging. He doesn't want to hit her. He's just constantly getting in and out of the ring, walking around or in the ring. He's backing up to a corner, ducking under the rope, trying to get referee Mickey J to get Jackie off of him. At one point, Jackie finally gets frustrated, starts chasing him outside of the ring and once he gets back in the ring to escape, Jackie is able to do a sunset flip by, you know, pulling herself from the ring apron over the top rope uh, over uh, Disco Inferno's body. Gets a two count from referee Mickey J. Disco Inferno ends up doing a drop toe hold. And uh, when she flops down, that's when the adjustment started. And it's very obvious that Jackie is visibly trying to adjust her breast back into her gear. Uh, there's more stalling throughout the match. Disco is leaving the ring, going in and out of the ring. At one point, Jackie is able to grab onto Disco, but Disco ends up doing an arm drag to Jackie, and then he scoots out of the ring for another time to start circling around. Uh, the third time he leaves the ring, we're now starting to get the crowd turning on the concept of the match, audibly booing from the crowd. Just They're not into this at all. Finally, back in the ring, we see Jackie with a big boot to the gut and a lot of punches and forearms to Disco Inferno. Disco Inferno rolls out to the floor, waves his hands as if he's going to leave. He starts going back up the entranceway towards the back curtain. Jackie ends up chasing him and knocking him down. We see lots of forearms, and Disco is eventually Irish whipped into uh, uh, back into the ring. Or Irish whipped into the ropes. Jackie is able to reverse and ends up doing a hip toss. We see Jackie crotching Disco Inferno uh, along the ring post where she grabs both of his legs as he's belly down to the mat and then yanks him back so that he's groined onto the, uh, the, the ring post itself. On the floor, we see Jackie do a really decent looking kind of like a snap suplex onto Disco Inferno onto the floor mats at ringside. We see Jackie with two very uh, stiff clotheslines and a float over DDT as she's rebounding off of the ropes onto Disco. She ends up climbing into the top rope and does a high cross body, a decent looking one, a high cross body off the top rope. But Disco kind of rolls through with the momentum and tries to hold Jackie down uh, for, uh, for a pin, but only gets a two count as she's able to escape. Disco Inferno is kind of frustrated that that roll through didn't lead to a win. So he starts questioning Mickey J. He turns around towards the corner. He's kind of frustrated with himself. And Jackie does a quick catches him for a quick roll up and a big one, two, three victory. So once the match got going, I really enjoyed the heck out of it. But the stalling at the beginning was just taking forever. I actually wrote down, come on, something needs to happen in this match. It just kept going on and on and on. It was driving me nuts. But Jackie can wrestle, probably against anyone, can take the bumps. And I get the point of the whole disco thing, like he doesn't want to hit a woman. And I'm let me let me get my wording here right. There's a difference between hitting Jackie back in a match or a China or you know, someone like that versus like Elizabeth or Deborah. You know, like, no no one's going to be mad at Disco here against Jackie. 
you know, even though that's the the whole setup for the beginning. And this might seem like it's a I'm making a joke because of my reaction to a previous match, and I'm not for real. But I really think the crowd was just as into this match as they were Ray versus Eddie. The crowd was going nuts for this match. I don't know if it's because of the, you know, attraction slash freak show aspect of it. I don't know if it's because of Jackie's gear, whatever the reason. But I really think the crowd loved this match. How much does the crowd loving this match play into the fact that they're in Vegas? You going with like a showgirl thing? Well, you see a lot of unusual things, right? And wild things. And Oh, I've never been. Tell me more. It fits right into right into the vein in the style of variety show in Vegas more than a straight up wrestling match would. I, I could see that. Like I'm here to see something freaky, debaucherous, wrong, different, you know, break out your thesaurus. And this match would be the closest to something like that. What I was already here to see. I could see that. Now, what about the people there the night before for apparently a Fleetwood Mac concert? Different audience. Well, that's the rumor. Yeah. Is that all you had? That's all I have. Okay. Um, yeah, so I just got the rumor joke. <laughs> I just got the rumors joke. Good job, Kevin. I'm proud of that. You know what? On that note, guys, why don't we, uh, to celebrate Kevin's joke, why don't we take a quick little commercial break? Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Are you sick of listening to the same old boring wrestling podcasts? Are you sick of the In Your House series or the Halloween Havoc series? Well, the Haunted House show turns into the Gingerbread House show for a special Christmas episode. Dropping on Christmas Eve on the Retro Network podcast feed and the House Show podcast feed. So join Maddie Treats, the educator of excellence, and the masked library Kevin Hellions as they dive headfirst into covering the holiday classic, Santa with Muscles. Hawk Hogan stars as Blake Thorne, a conceited self-made millionaire who sells bodybuilding supplements and equipment that has his picture on them. One day, while recklessly playing paintball, he is targeted by the police. He is chased to a shopping mall where he hides by putting on a Santa costume. He slides down a garbage chute to try to escape, but he bangs his head resulting in amnesia and he starts to begin to think he is the real Santa Claus. And you know what happens after that? Hijinks. Hijinks is what happens. So join the trio's tag team champions of the world as they start a new holiday tradition. So pour some eggnog, Turn on the Yule Log, and let's watch Santa with Muscles. Coming December 24th to the Retro Network. All right, we are back, and we go right into match number six on our card, which is Kurt Henning taking on Ric Flair for the U.S. title. Uh, I'm not going to lie, guys. When I saw this match on the card, I got a little excited. Just a little bit. Were you disappointed at the finish? or? Uh... Yeah, I was a little disappointed with the I match. Was. Yeah, This is that, that part where you can tell Flair doesn't look like Flair. 
no. he seems very disappointed with his spot in the company currently. Right. Um, you know, I remember uh, just you know, I'm listening to podcasts and, you know, him originally leaving WCW uh, from his first run when he was the world champion and frustrated the direction that Jim heard, wanted him to do, adopt a new character, wanted him to cut his hair. And here we are now in 97 and he's got the super short hair that I think Jim Hurd wanted him to have back in 91. So kind of defeats the, he's kind of hypocritical. And I guess, I don't know. It's a shame. And it seems ridiculous that you couldn't figure out something for flair. Right. But uh, just too concerned about the shiny new and they're neither really shiny nor new um, NWO angle. No, absolutely. We were talking about faction action, I think on the previous show and, it would have been so much better for them to have a little faction action here. Um, you know, with like we said, your WCW originals, the four horsemen, the NWO, that sort of thing. And just kept a rotating list, feeding them to the NWO. But um, everyone gets fed to the NWO and loses, unfortunately. So, uh, Educator, why don't you break down this United States title match? Sure. You want me to break this one down or should I hot tag it? it I, I have no clue who you're hot tagging anymore. So you can if you <laughs> want to give it to Kevin, go ahead. Kevin, you ready, man? I'm, I'm ready for any match. All right. Well, I hope you're ready for me to call this one. All right. <laughs> so we see Ric Flair uh, charging to the ring after uh, I'm going to f- probably refer to him as Mr. Perfect because that's always how I've referred to him as. Uh, but Kurt Henning comes to the ring in uh, Ric Flair's robe. Interesting that he had to tear the sleeves off of the robe because apparently Ric Flair uh, had tiny arms and, and Kurt Henning was just sporting the gun show, I guess. Um, but United States Championship title match here with Ric Flair as the challenger. Flair ends up charging the ring, frustrated that Hennig is walking down and kind of mocking uh, Flair, uh, showboating in his robe. Uh, Hennig tries to leave, and Flair ends up uh, giving chase and ends up bringing him back into the ring. We see towards the start of the match, Ric Flair is working on Hennig's left leg. He rams it in the corner post. Uh, he ends up, Ric Flair picks up a chair and tries to do a swinging chair shot to Hennig's left leg, but Hennig is able to move it out of the way and roll out of the way. That would have been a disqualification maybe a minute, minute and a half into the match. Luckily, that didn't happen. We see Flair with a bunch of chops to Hennig in the corner. There's an Irish whip attempt uh, from Flair into uh, Henning into the corner, uh, but Henning ends up rebounding out of the corner and clotheslines Flair to knock him down. We see Henning with a front snap nair and then a shin breaker, and then he continues to work on Flair's left leg by wrapping his leg around the corner post and smashing it in. Ric Flair and Hennig are now tra- uh, trading chops and forearms back and forth. We see at one point Hennig does uh, the uh, uh, strut to, uh, to really just get Flair up and going here. And at one point, he ends up picking up Flair and dropping Flair down uh, hard on the mat. We see Hennig with a step over toe hold to continue to work on uh, Ric Flair's left leg. Uh, we see uh, basically a shin breaker onto Flair to continue to work on the leg and the knee. Now, at some point in the match, and I don't know if it's just Hennig just being a really good worker and a really good sell, 
Uh, but he's now limping around a little bit on the ma- during the match on the knee that Flair was working on. I'm not sure if it was a sell or maybe he picked up an injury in the match or was working with an injury. Um, it just it seemed to throw off Henning's timing a little bit. We see Henning with an Irish whip into the corner, and then uh, Flair does his up and over flop over the turnbuckle onto the floor. Henning continues to stomp and work on Flair's left leg on the floor, tying it up in the uh, guardrail in front of the fans. At one point, we see Henning with a sleeper hold, but Flair is able to counter with a belly-to-back suplex to break that hold, to break the grip from Henning off of Ric Flair. Henning attempts to do a chair shot to Flair's prone head as his head and shoulders were kind of like sticking out over by the ring apron post, kind of partially out of the ring, but Flair is able to move out of the way. Now Flair seems to be fired up, catching his second wind, and as he's out on the floor, he's chopping Hennig hard, does an Irish whip to Hennig into the guardrails. We see Flair do a double leg and do a double leg catapult to Hennig that sends him flying to the corner uh, post out on the floor. Hennig ends up grabbing the United States Championship belt, and he tries to leave the match, but Flair gives a second chase to Hennig in the aisleway, knocking Hennig down. Uh, we see Flair pull up his knee pads uh, in the aisleway, and he ends up dropping one of his infamous uh, knees to Hennig and does that roll through, uh, does this on the, on the floor in the aisleway uh, of the arena. We see back in the ring, Hennig does a knee lift to Flair, uh, back in the ring, and he ends up setting up uh, Flair for the Henning Plex. Uh, but he tries to do the Henning Plex on the belt, but Flair is able to reverse and stop Henning from doing the perfect Plex, Henning Plex onto the belt. And instead, Flair does a standing vertical suplex. He attempts to drop Henning on the belt. He barely grazes his left leg on the belt as he drops Henning down. Flair ties up Henning in the Tree of Woe in the corner. He grabs the United States Championship belt, puts it over Hennig's face, and then he ends up doing a big stomp from one side, uh, running from one side of the ring to the other, and stomps the belt into Hennig's face. And referee Billy Silverman felt that that was a need now for disqualification. So Flair ends up getting DQ'd by stomping the championship belt into Kurt Hennig's face. Flair goes nuts and knocks down and knocks out Billy Silverman. We see a bunch of refs come down to try to get Flair to break off. Eventually, uh, NWO members Vincent and Conan do a run in and they don't attack Flair, but they do whatever they can to essentially pull Kurt Hennig out of the ring and then carry him back to the locker room. I was really enjoying the match overall. And I saw that Flair spot coming. I was like, oh, it's going to be a DQ, isn't it? And I was just disappointed overall. I don't know if it was to protect the NWO, to bury Flair more. If maybe, you know, like you're saying with Perfect selling it or Flair selling the head injury from the previous pay-per-view, if someone was too banged up. But I was liking it a lot because it seemed sort of, and I never really thought this with Flair and Henning before, but it seemed kind of like teacher-student or even father-son in a weird way. Like there was a lot of stuff they were doing that was so similar to each other that I never really thought of perfect as idolizing Flair, copying him or anything. But there was just so much that it seemed like I know you're going to do this and I know how to counter it and I know how to counter that. And I'll just like this incredible familiarity like they trained 
together all the time or that one you know or that flare train heading it was just i i was enjoying the heck out of it until that ending uh you're mentioning the robe i didn't think it was henning's arms are bigger i thought it was just like to disrespect the robe in general like he could have cut it in half and had the same effect but just, you know we're in this nwo thing of it doesn't matter the ending we need them to look strong overall um unless it's certain people like a sting or you know the rise of diamond dallas page here but flair's not on that list which is a shame because he's rick flair yeah that's a shame it's a shame this era rick flair what they what they do with him so well, did you ever see the uh, Triple H was saying it? Uh, it was one of the Flair documentaries, or maybe the Evolution one. That when Flair came into WWE, he was just so beaten down and didn't think he could be Ric Flair anymore because of how much WCW just pushed him around for so many years. He had lost his confidence, and that's when Triple H was like, "Come out and manage me, and then wrestle, and then let's do Evolution," and, and like built him back up. The only thing with that is every documentary, there's always Triple H goes up to every wrestler and says the same thing. I mean, they they use the same thing in the uh, Undertaker Last Ride documentary where Triple H is like, you're the Undertaker, man. Remember who you are. Uh, I can't wait for the Mark Jindrak documentary. Remember who you are and who you are is not an evolution. Well, they took those photos with them, so. And, and video too, I think. Uh, so, anyways, we get Mark Madden interviewing Macho Man once again. Uh, then we get Mean Gene uh, with JJ Dillon talking about the Hogan match, the, the match that's going to happen, but Hogan said it wasn't going to happen earlier. And then Bischoff comes out. This is just a cluster already. I can see it coming from a mile away. Um, then we get to match number seven on the card which is Scott Hall with six taking on Lex Luger with Larry Zabisco as our special guest referee. Uh, What did you guys think of this one? I wish I knew or remember the storyline as to how Zabisco got roped into this and becoming the referee. I mean, obvious based on the outcome of the match, why the match that he had with Bischoff at Starcade took place. Um, with, uh, with Bret Hart ended up being the referee to that match. But I just, I don't remember why Bischoff, uh, or not Bischoff, why Zabisco was refereeing, uh, Luger versus Scott Hall. I'm assuming it probably had to do with, uh, something with six and Scott Hall, maybe clowning on Zabisco during commentary and stuff like that. And now he's somehow involved in the match. Yeah. I thought the interesting thing was you could do this without, it being part of the larger NWO story, just a, a disrespectful heel versus a company man face and a, a living legend has an issue with how the heel is conducting himself. Like you don't even need it to be part of the larger NWO story. Yeah. So uh, educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? So we see Lex Luger getting into the ring during his entrance and he, I guess is just warming up and he starts bouncing off of the ropes back and forth. I don't know if you guys noticed how crazy the ring was shaking back and forth when Luger was hitting the ropes. It (laughs) reminded me of, uh, basically like an independent ring that's not even on its stilts or supports very well. Or um, I thought the ring was going to tip over. We see Scott Hall to start the match. Um, he's still got a toothpick in his mouth, and Larry Zabisco's getting on his case that he's got to get rid of the toothpick. So Scott Hall grabs a toothpick, and he ends up flicking it towards the face of Larry Zabisco, which then leaves him open and exposed for Luger to do a, a right-handed to knock Scott Hall down. 
We see a wrist lock and a bunch of shoulder thrusts by Scott Hall after a recovery to Lex Luger. Lex Luger is able to reverse those efforts by Scott Hall, and he ends up doing the same uh, combination of shoulder thrusts and, and wrist lock takedowns as well. Scott Hall, frustrated, now wants to do a test of strength with Luger. He's, you know, stretching his left hand up in the air, and Luger ends up deciding to go for it. And as he reaches up, Scott Hall does a kick to the gut to Luger and heelish tactics to continue to work Luger down. He's working on Luger's shoulders and back, tying up both of his arms and yanking him behind Luger's back for a submission. Luger tries to power out, but Scott Hall is able to force Luger back down to the mat and continue working on his shoulders. Eventually, Luger is able to double back and gets Hall into the corner and does a, a mounted standing punch for a, uh, a six count as the, uh, as the crowd is counting along. Hall is able to rebound and actually ends up hitting a running like uh, clothesline to knock Luger down. Hall ends up draping Luger's throat over the top rope, and we see Larry Zabisco counting one, two, three, four. He counts five. Why that wasn't a, a disqualification for not breaking by the five count, I'm not sure. At one point, we see six trying to interfere in the match uh, while uh, Zabisco's back is turned, but Zabisco turns around and does catch him, and he threatens to throw six out, or he tells six, get out of here, but six doesn't leave. He, he threatens that he's going to call, call for a DQ on a Scott Hall because of six's interference, but he never does. At one point, we see Scott Hall scoop up Luger and catches him and gives him a fallaway slam for a kind of a slow, uh, monotonous two-count by Larry Zabisco. Uh, Scott Hall Irish whips Luger into the ropes and catches Scott Hall for a sleep or catches Luger for a sleeper hold. Luger ends up hitting a belly-to-back suplex to break the hold. Both men are now down on the canvas. And we got a slow standing eight count. And then Scott Hall ends up rolling over for a pinfall attempt. And uh, Luger ends up kicking out. And Hall is uh, frustrated because of how slow the cadence of the count is. Uh, Luger ends up getting knocked out of the ring. And as Luger tries to get back into the ring, Hall ends up ramming Luger into the turnbuckle. And then knocks him off of the apron onto the floor. And then we see Scott Hall turn around and get on Zabisco's case about the call, about the, the count, and they get into a shoving match uh, with one another. At one point, Scott Hall goes to put a swing on Zabisco, but Zabisco ducks and ends up back body dropping Scott Hall over the top rope and onto the floor. So now we got Luger on the floor on one side. We've got Scott Hall on the floor on the opposite side because of Zabisco's efforts. And now Bischoff is frustrated, and he comes down to ringside, jumps on the apron to confront Zabisco. Zabisco threatens that he's going to swing at him, and instead he does like a front kick to knock Bischoff off of the apron onto the floor. Luger and Scott Hall both crawl back into the ring. Uh, they start punching each other back and forth. We see Luger with three reverse atomic drops, and then he ends up running the ropes and hitting a bionic forearm to knock Scott Hall down. Bischoff attempts to uh, act as a distraction as Luger was going to go for a pinfall. So as Bischoff is up on the apron and distracting and jawjacking with uh, with Larry Zabisco, Six ends up getting into the ring and then uh, does a roundhouse kick to the back of Luger's head to knock him down. 
Scott Hall then recovers after that roundhouse kick assistance from six and picks up Luger and gives him the outsider's edge, drops Luger flat on his back. Uh, Scott Hall goes for the pins. Abisco drops down for a one, a two, and a very long and reluctant and hesitant count for a three. Scott Hall is is uh, got his hand raised and is named the winner of the match. As Scott Hall, Six, and Bischoff start walking away, leaving the uh, arena, we hear Zabisco in the ring say, "Hey, you know what? I want to see a replay. I want for whatever reason, I want to see a replay of the match." And we see on the uh, the TV screens in the back near the entrance way, they replay the angle of of Six. Sean Waltman doing the uh, the roundhouse to the back of uh, Luger's head. So uh, Zabisco immediately gets on the microphone and says, you know what? Nope, not happening. This match is going to be restarted. And uh, he just immediately starts counting Scott Hall out. So Scott Hall has to charge back to ringside to get back into the ring. Scott Hall frustrated that the match has been restarted. He ends up jaw jacket again with Larry Zabisco. Larry Zabisco ends up doing like a shove or a push of Scott Hall back towards now a recovered Lex Luger. Lex Luger now picks up Scott Hall for the torture rack and almost instantly Larry Zabisco says, nope, he, he submitted. So he calls for the bell. And now we have uh, a loss for Scott Hall from an instantaneous ref call from Larry Zabisco on a submission. Post-match now, we see six and uh, Scott Hall and Eric Bischoff attempt to uh, attack Larry Zabisco after they've laid out Luger. Uh, At one point, we end up seeing basically a version of a guillotine choke that Zabisco is able to put onto, onto six. Scott Hall eventually breaks the choke and then works a double team with Bischoff, setting up a future match between Eric Bischoff as Eric Bischoff does a karate kick uh, to Zabisco to fuel the feud that is going to eventually assume uh, at Starcade. Like, as I was saying, it, it doesn't even have to be an NWO match. I like this a lot for just a good classic wrestling story. And honestly, I thought Zabisco did fantastic in telling a full story through the match, psychology going on, everything. I I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. And I think part of it is, uh, I wonder if Scott Hall would have been treated a little more evenly to Hogan and Nash. Because I think he always was treated as the third person out of three. If maybe he wouldn't have had the problems he had beforehand because this one the match on previous halloween havoc scott hall looks great he should be world champ he should be seen at in that level there he's been fantastic on these shows um i i like this seemed the closest match to when we started halloween havoc series and more of the nwa style of things i i I wouldn't say a top five contender. We have other matches to discuss tonight, but just good classic wrestling storyline thing, even with all this great referee stuff. Ending bit overbooked, bit gimmicky and all, but it was still pulled off well. It still made sense. It furthers a lot of storylines here. Uh thing I noticed in the match though, and I kind of noticed a little bit before, does anyone sell a scream of pain in wrestling quite like Lex Luger. 
there's just something in the the timber the tone of his voice just something it's absolutely absurd and fantastic at the same time sounds like he's getting murdered with every shot that he takes yeah yeah watching these halloween havocs are you getting a new appreciation for lex luger not his hair not his hair i mean his hair looked a lot better he to me he always looked better with the ponytail um the couple of Halloween Havocs back when it was 95, when it was super floofy, like literally he stuck his hand into the light socket or just had the air dryer on for the super frizz. I don't know, but it's just, uh, yeah. Um, new appreciation in the fact that uh, he has transitioned to me. He He's always been a body guy for the business, and his his first run in wcw pre-wwe he was so monstrously thick like bobby lashley thick just huge huge guy and then when he came back from his wwe run he was noticeably thinner but still so super well defined and then as he continued to get older and older he was still able to keep up i'm sure um, he had some Ico pro supplements left over from his WWF run, uh, allowing him to do that. Uh, but I have an appreciation for the fact that he maintained his style. I would say, um, even with the, the, the motorcycle accident and the surgery that he had on his arm, he was still able to maintain his style he didn't have to change. And, and, you know, maybe it's a bad thing that his moveset really didn't, like, significantly advance throughout time. But he was able to maintain his style throughout his entire career. Um, and he always was a credible, like, threat to any championship that he challenged for. And I don't know if that's just necessarily because of how he was booked, because he was a body guy. But... He I, he did well. He did really, really well. Um, you know, multiple-time run with the United States title, with the world championship. You can tell he was used a lot better in his WCW, NWA runs than anything that Vince could ever think to do with him. All right, how about this? Because, yes, booking does have part of it. But there's also, we've seen good Lex matches and bad ones. I'd say there's a similarity to Randy Orton. He's as good as he feels motivated to be that evening. If he doesn't have the motivation, doesn't care, then he's going to come out and half-ass it. But if he's really excited and motivated, he's going to give you a better performance. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, it just seems like, you know, as you're covering this Halloween Havocs, Lex Luger's name's been coming up in pretty good matches over and over again. Yeah, so we move on. We see a post-apocalyptic World War III commercial. I think Shotzi Blackheart is in this one, Kevin. Um, (laughs) And then we go to match number eight on the night, which is the Las Vegas sudden death match between the Macho Man Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth in his corner taking on DDP. And uh, what did you guys think of this one? Uh, I... It's WCW's take on a last man standing match. Pinfalls don't count. Submissions don't count. Anything goes. No DQ. No, uh, no count out. It was. This was the match that made Diamond Dallas Page main eventer, a credible main eventer. 
even though you know he lost the match, he's going up against probably uh, I would say pro- the best guy that WCW had at that point. Um, you know, because Sting is still on his mysterious hiatus. You know, he's not a, a fully active competitor yet. He really doesn't come back to being coming an active competitor until Starcade. So this, you know, Sting is not really full. F- I mean, he's full time. He's on camera, but he's certainly not, you know, in the ring uh, consistently. I-, I would say at this point, Macho Man's probably the best wrestler, best guy in the company right now, hands down. Hmm. And for for DDP to just uh, to to hang with Macho, um, this this made DDP this match. I would say that that Macho point's interesting, but I can't argue it compared to the upcoming main event. Who's right. injured? Who's not at that level yet? Yeah, and I would say like Macho did not go down to DDP's level. He brought DDP up to his right. level. Absolutely. I love this match. I thought it was incredible. This was my third match that I thought could be in the top five. I <laughs> yeah. mean, I really did. I thought the no, opener. I, I could, I could see this one. I was struggling with your Yuji Nagata match, thinking that it was the ba- one of the better ones. But no, this is absolutely a contender for us to discuss, perhaps later as well. Yeah, I was really impressed with those three matches. Were and I really enjoyed this one. Um, so, educator, why don't you go ahead and break down this Las Vegas sudden death match? I tagged the hell you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Kevin Hellions Halloween Havoc breakdown. Ah, I was like, there's no way I'm doing main event two shows in a row. <laughs> Although apparently I wasn't supposed to be doing this match either. All right, so for those of you who've had Sanguine's first time listening, there's a hot tag once per episode where I go through my extensive notes as I'm watching the show and read them as they are written. I don't know what match it's going to be. Apparently these two don't know what match is going to be tonight either, the way the show flowed. So this is just my notes as I'm watching it. Not, not better or worse or more detailed or less or anything. Okay. Less... Las Vegas sudden death match. Only way to win is opponent can't answer the 10 count. Macho Man with Elizabeth versus DDP. Liz is hotter in NWO than WWF. Liz is 36 here, about to be 37. Fight starts on the outside of the floor. Very aggressive, not wrestling, it's a fight. But they are feeding off of each other. Fight to the floor. Oh, there's Raven. Macho off the top onto... Page on the floor crushes him into the guardrail. Stevie Richards is such a goof. Fight in the crowd, through the crowd, out on the other side, a savage into the tombstones. Page slams Savage on a casket, breaks something over him, a quote waitress tray. Savage is back up, back to ringside. Page into the overturned ring steps, that looks dangerous. Savage takes the camera away from cameraman, Page kicks it back into Savage. Elizabeth breaks the gr- breaks a glass tray over the ref. Liz chokes out Paige. Kimberly runs out to drag Elizabeth away. Kimberly in a cat suit. The women fight to the back. Nick Patrick is out. Paige with his second win. Pancake on Savage. Diamond cutter attempt. Savage holds the ropes. Savage up first. Paige barely up. Savage off the top. Both men are up. 
Page accidentally bumps the ref. Diamond Cutter both down, both barely get back up. Diamond Cutter attempt, reversal, nut shot. Page rolls to the outside. Quote, Sting comes down. Hits Page with a bat. Savage is up. Page is still down. Savage wins. Savage hits everybody on his way out. Page is taken out in a stretcher. Savage continues to attack him. And that has been your Kevin Hellions Halloween Havoc Breakdown. Um, you forgot to mention that not just Sting hit him, but it was Hawk Hogan dressed as Sting. Uh, true. Which definitely was not Hawk Hogan dressed as Sting. No, I did put in quotes, though. Oh, well, that's good. That is good. I knew it wasn't the real Sting. Well, good. I'm glad you, you could tell real Sting, uh, you know, different from, from uh, fake Sting here. So, Well, he didn't, he didn't sing any songs from the police. Um, educator, anything you want to add to Kevin's breakdown here? I mean, he pretty much nailed everything on the head. I mean, he talked about the cat suit. He talked about the ladies looking good. Yeah. Um, the couple of things I, I, the, the brawl that they had near the entrance where, where, or the entryway where they're brawling at near the graveyard and they're just destroying those tombstones, throwing each other back and forth. Uh, that was definitely fun. I really liked the camera spot in the match where Savage took the camera from one of the, uh, you know, one, one of the videographers and tried to smash DDP and smash DDP with it. But DDP does that double leg scorpion kick to basically stop uh, Savage. And they're ta- the, uh, the announcers are talking about, well, that was about a hundred thousand dollar camera that was smashed uh, fun match. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, just unfortunate that the, the sting, uh, run in at the end here with uh, with Hogan and commentary suggesting it was Hogan's boots and you could tell the knee pads and all that stuff um, for that finish. But yeah, great match. Very weak elbow that Macho kind of flopped off of the top rope, more or less stepped off the top rope onto uh, DDP to drop that elbow. But he was certainly selling uh, some of his injuries and wounds that he had earned during the match itself. Yeah, I agree. Very, very fun match. And that leads us to what is our main event of the evening. We have Michael Buffer, of course, on the ring entrances. And we're talking a cage match, which is a different cage. It's what, the Thunderdome cage? Is that what they're going for? And I, I So I, want, I had this in my notes that I don't think this is the actual Thunder cage because if you remember the Thunder cage at the top, it angles inward, whereas this cage, it just it's straight all the way to the very top where you could climb out. No problem. It's a similar concept to the Thunder Cage, uh, but I don't think it's the it's the same cage. The only reason I bring that up is the month before we had the Helm Cell. So how much do you think this cage was a response to the Helm Cell cage? Well, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just a matter of the fact that they've had the Thunderdome cage. I mean, we've discussed it already. They've had that version of a cage since 89, and they've used it a few times here and there uh, as part of Halloween Havoc as well as other shows. But I I would say that probably this was, in fact, because of the Thunderdome or because of the Hell in the Cell match that was probably, what, a few weeks prior uh, to to this pay-per-view. Um, but certainly this match does not hold a candle to Undertaker Shawn Michaels at Bad Blood. No way. Well, I mean, it's also crazy because War Games was the pay-per-view before. Right. And yeah, it's two different kinds of steel cage matches. We still had two pay-per-views in a row. Three, if you want to count WWE's. 
right. in a row that are steel cage main events. Yeah, it's crazy to think how different the products are that, that you know that they're they're putting out the WWE F at the time and WCW. Just if you if you go you know month by month with them. Um, so, educator, why don't you go ahead and uh, you want to just go ahead and break this one down for us? Let's get right into it. It's Hogan versus Piper inside the steel cage. Inside the steel cage, one of the things that stood out to me, and I noticed this before even commentary made mention is as Piper and Hogan are in the cage starting the match, like where was the referee? Uh, mm-hmm. Referee Randy Anderson was actually outside of the cage. Um, and apparently he had a key to open up the door in and out and would be able to get into the match and, and call pinfalls or submissions, I guess on the fly, whenever one of the wrestlers would call him in to do whatever. So, we see at the start of the match, Piper gives chase to Hogan running around the ring. Who's trying to escape the cage. He doesn't want to fight or go against Piper whatsoever. Hogan's climbing the cage. Piper eventually drags him back down. He starts biting on Hogan's back. We see Piper with an atomic drop. Uh, and then Hogan tries to climb the cage again to escape Piper. And, uh, Piper ends up hitting him, uh, getting hit with a low, uh, with a low blow. Piper and Hogan are now trying to fight each other, ram each other into the cage, and they are both successful in ramming each other into the cage forehead first at the same time. So I'm not sure if, like, one of the ways to win the match was to escape the cage, but they end up doing a spot where both men essentially leave the cage right around the same time, even though Hogan kind of stepped out first. Um, I don't believe escaping the cage would have been a winning uh, a win attempt here, but both men are now outside of the ring, are outside of the cage door. Uh, Hogan eventually forces Piper back in and starts slamming the the cage door across Piper's body and his forehead and his face. We see Hogan atomic dropping Piper over the guardrail to crotch Piper on that guardrail, and then Hogan tries to pick up and leave. As Hogan is walking up the aisleway, we see a person dressed up in a sting mask carrying a baseball bat block Hogan and then point the bat towards Hogan and kind of thwarts Hogan off to force him to head back towards the cage uh, while you know that sting is pointing the bat towards him. Piper ends up leading Chase up to Hogan, grabs Hogan as the sting confrontation is occurring, and now Piper leads Hogan back to the cage, and now both men are back inside. We see Piper ramming Hogan into the cage. Hogan eventually fights back and then rams Piper back into the cage himself two times. Hogan is now climbing the cage, and then Piper is climbing the cage up to follow. We now see a second person dressed up as Sting walk down the aisle and stand next to the first one, who are both ringside facing the cage. Eventually, both Piper and Hogan, who are just basically punching each other back and forth as they're near the top of the cage, they both climb back down, get back into the ring. We see Hogan take his weight belt off, his Hollywood Hogan weight belt off, and he starts whipping Piper with it in the corner. Hogan is slapping Piper left and right as Piper is flat out on his back in the middle of the ring. Hogan attempts to climb the cage to escape the cage again, but one of the two stings that were at ringside maneuvers his way over to where Hogan would be climbing down and again raises the bat up to uh, Hogan to force him to go back into the ring. Piper ends up climbing up the cage to follow Hogan, and now both men are essentially at the very, very top of the cage. It was a pretty 
pretty much it was a very impressive sight to see both of them at the very, very top of the cage. They're throwing fists back and forth. And then in the background, while they're brawling at the top of the cage, we see a third sting work his way down the entryway towards the ring. And then a fourth and a fifth sting. Uh, People dressed as sting are now starting to work their way through the crowd uh, from the upper section down to the lower bowl towards ringside. Both Piper and Hogan finally climb back down the cage. Now they both get into the ring. Piper is starting to use Hogan's shirt, uh, torn shirt, to choke him. But Hogan is able to pick up the heavyweight championship belt and swing it over Piper uh, and hit Piper in the forehead with it. Hogan drops the big leg once, calls for referee Randy Anderson to get in the ring, and then he hits the leg again. Uh, Randy Anderson comes into the ring and goes for a pinfall count for Hogan, uh, but Piper is able to kick out on two. Then we see Randy Savage run down to ringside, and from the outside he climbs to the very top of the cage, and he jumps off of the top of the cage as if he's going to do a double axe handle, uh, but he ends up going a little short, and Piper ends up moving out of the way, and Randy Savage glancingly hits Hogan with a single fist-like sledge. How Randy Savage did not snap either of his legs, uh, his ankles, as he dropped from the top of the cage down is beyond me. That was the second craziest spot of the night besides Jericho almost breaking his neck. I want to point out, too, that when he climbs up the cage, the door is open because Randy Anderson no, just came in. Randy the door is literally just wide open. But it's crazy. He wanted to do so that spot. After after the big botched uh, jump off of the cage, Piper tosses Randy Savage over the top rope to the floor. Piper then sneaks up on Hogan and uh, puts him in the sleeper hold. Hogan's arms begin to flail, and eventually Randy Anderson picks up Hogan's arm once. It drops, picks it up a second time. It drops. Everybody's expecting Hogan to essentially hulk up after the third, but when Randy Anderson drops the arm a third time, it goes down, and like the crowd is pseudo-shocked, and uh, Piper is announced as the winner of the match. Post-match, we got Eric Bischoff that comes down to ringside. Randy Savage is able to recover. And uh, Savage and Bischoff start double teaming on Piper. And eventually Hogan ends up uh, recovering. And they get out two pairs of handcuffs. And they end up handcuffing Roddy Piper to uh, one of the far edges of the cage, kind of like crucifix style on the cage. And then we see the awkward fan interaction with the match where (laughs) somebody... Uh, a fan in Sting face paint ends up climbing the outside of the cage, climbing over the cage. Commentary is trying to sell it, that it's a crazed fan trying to help out and save Roddy Piper. Um, but what we end up seeing is as soon as that fan gets onto the ground inside of the ring, one of the Stings that was involved in the match that got beat up by Hogan in the middle of the match he ends up tackling the fan to try to hold him in the corner, but eventually the fan escapes and gets into the ring, and then Hogan and Savage go absolutely nuts and beat the hell out of this fan, and it is just crazy. We see Doug Dillinger and other security get into the ring. We see referee Randy Anderson trying to grab onto the, onto the fan as well, and uh, they're doing everything they can to try to subdue the fan and put handcuffs on him to escort him from the ring. And after the fan is taken care of, 
We see Hogan and Savage uh, going back towards Piper and beating on him a little bit. And then the pay-per-view kind of just quickly goes off the air. I got, a, I got a question, Kevin, before you go. All right. That fan looked worked to me. See, because Hogan throws worked punches at him. Right. What gets me is Pee Wee Anderson's reaction, where he just seems to, like, dive on him and just flail around trying to get him out of there. Like, he's, his reaction seems the most legitimate. So, we got one of two things here. Either it's a plant, and based on the punches, some of the punches, based on that the camera focuses on him, very possible. That's just a plant. They're, maybe they're trying to make a point or trying to show how, how passionate and excited the fans are for it. If it's not a plant and it's a real fan then a lot of people screwed up along the way to not have been informed of something simple like hey here's what's going to happen in the match so make sure your camera catches the spots of the match (laughs) because if it's a fan they focus on him way too long if it's a fan that that first guy dresses sting dies for him immediately because he's probably like a ring crew or or you know something like that like there's an it's so weird because there's enough things that happen and based on people's reactions, what they do to sell, it's a fan and enough to sell that it's a plant. Like you can make an argument either way. Cause there's so many moving things in this. I mean, they did a great job with it. Oh um, yeah. If it's a, if it's a plant, it's fantastic. Yeah. I just thought it was just the way Hogan was throwing punches right at first when, when Macho's holding them and they're, and they were worked punches to me. That was, Oh, this is a fan. This is a work. I, I don't know. I still feel like it's Hogan's best punches of the match. <laughs> um, I mean, like we would say Hogan, Piper and Savage are from the same era of wrestling, you know, as, as we watched them all during like the WWF rock and wrestling era. So how come Savage comes off the top in a, how is this not, you know, like a, a bigger highlight spot that we all remember? Cause that was insane. It was, absolutely absurd that he did it that he wasn't hurt that he did it at his age too and yet hogan and piper are winded and have this awful match neither of them should have been put in that spot and i mean hogan can have a good match against people is just what two or three havocs ago with rick flair that we love that match so like it can still happen and, and geez, his match against Rock a few years later is considered an all-time classic match. But God, this is bad. This is just so bad. Piper should have never been put in the spot. And I always wanted Piper to win a world title, to like just beat Hogan once. And even if he doesn't keep it long, like I always wanted to be watched this match. And I'm like, oh my God, it's just, you feel sad. You feel embarrassed for them. You want it to be over. Talk about like protect someone in a tag match. Jeez. Right. It's a, oh, oh, but uh, for the start of the match, we can't have a Halloween Havoc without someone carrying a title that they did not actually win. Right. Makes sense. <laughs> now, and if you look at the belt, it is the, the, the big gold, the big gold, the flare gold, because it's got the bent curvature at the top. So this is the one that Masachono had. When they had to return the title back to WCW when Flair had left. And this is the title that Masachono had that went to 
then you know great muda and then eventually barry windham and then back to flair when he had returned back to wcw now did this is this the one where hogan runs around later yelling non-titled non-title even though he lost, he's still the yeah, champ. Yeah, I don't believe the match was originally scheduled for the championship anyway, because Piper, because they were already doing a storyline where Piper had physically stolen the belt from Hogan or something. Yeah, I just remember that used to be like a catchphrase for a little while. It'd be like non-title, non-title, like that didn't count. That didn't it was count. great. I loved it. Main event, top five discussion, right? Yeah, I enjoyed it. So just a random ending with the Sting fans and all the Stings, but. Um, I think that's going to do it for Halloween Havoc 1997, guys. Good. There's some high spots, and then there were some tough spots in this show to get through. All right, so why don't we go ahead and um, we'll, we'll, let's rank the matches, because I think we have two that will be in the top five. I don't feel like the the um, the first match that I really liked, you guys aren't as high on it as I am, so I'm going to guess that's not going to be in there. I don't think so. All right, you could put it on a best of compilation, but yeah. Yeah. All right, so why don't we go with Ray versus Eddie because that was the first match that took place. All right. Is it better than the Outsiders Harlem Heat match from 96? I, I would agree. Yes. All right, I would agree. Is it, bre- be- is it better than Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger? Definitely. Yes. Is it better than that Dean Malenko Ray Mysterio match? Absolutely. Yes. All right, is it better than Hogan versus Flair in 94? Yes. Yeah. All right. Is it better than the Nasty Boys versus the Steiners from ninety? Oh, I think it's better. God, I love that. I will Steiners say. Match. I will say. Number one, it is better than that match. Yeah, I'm gonna it's have better. to. Better. Yeah, it's better. All right. So yeah. that's our new current number one, which is Ray Mysterio. Which is funny because Kevin, you didn't seem high on it earlier. That's why I watched it again. There's a, you know, there's a thing for comics. It's called angry reading where you read so many bad ones in a row that you're judging another one a little too harshly, and then you got to go back to it, read it with fresh eyes. In a row? In a row. All right, so the other match that I was talking about is the Randy Savage DDP Las Vegas sudden death match. Okay. All right, let's see. Is it better than Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger? I enjoyed it more. Yes. All right. Is it better than Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio? I would think that it is. Yes. All right. Is it better than Hogan versus Flair in the cage? For me, this is going to be my cutoff. I I, I really liked the Hogan Flair a lot more just because of the stakes that were involved. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, Savage and DDP brought it in the match, but the, the supposed stakes that were involved in this retirement match, even though they never followed through on it, um, sh- uh, Sherry Martell's involvement in the match, I, I just I, I I enjoyed the Flair Hogan match more. Could be because it's fresher, but I'm gonna put it ahead. Okay. Oh treats, baby. Okay. So I I like Hogan Flair better. Okay. But I like this match, and I'm going on the record, this match is better than the Nasty Boy Steiners. Oh no. <laughs> Absolutely. That Nasty Boy Steiner what? match should not be number two. That should be, like, number four. That would be below DDP, Macho. It should be below Hogan Flair, in my opinion. Uh -uh. Yeah, I'm not saying it. I don't care if you're not saying it. I'm just telling you the truth, educator. I'm educating you right now. I'm not buying what you're selling. I like the Nasty Steiners right in with Malenko Mysterio. I think that's a good right there. But that's just my personal opinion. So So where are you putting this in relation to Flair and Hogan? Are you going to bump it ahead? 
No, to make DDP it number three, is, or is it going to DDP is number four. Yeah. All right. DDP Macho's number four because I think Hogan Flair is better. I, I just I I, I would gotcha. rank it above the Nasty Boys, but below that match. So because okay. that match is number three on our list, I'm going to rank it below. D- does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's my theory on it. All right, so our new top five is Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio at number five. Uh, number four is the DDP Macho Man Las Vegas Sudden Death Match. Number three is Hogan versus Flair in the Cage. Number two, begrudgingly, is the Nasty Boys versus the Steiner Brothers. And then number one is Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. It's time to rank where 97 goes as a total card. All right, let's start from the bottom and work our way up. Is it better than Sumo Truck Wrestling 95? Absolutely. Yes. Is it better than 92? That's Sting Jake. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is it better than 93? Vader Cactus. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Is it better than 94, which was the cage match? Hogan Flair. Ooh. Overall, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. All right. Is it better than 89, the first one? I think this is my cutoff right there. Really? Yeah. I was going to go better. We got two top fives out of this. That's we got what I mean. Here. There's yeah, two top five matches on this. Good. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm buying into that now. Yeah, I'd push it ahead of 89. Is it better than 90, which was Nasty Steiner? Yes. Mm. Educator. I, 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 we already know you're going to say no. I'm going to say yes. It's better than that. All right. I'm going to take you out of this. It ahead. Is it better than 91, Kevin? What was 91 again? Luger Simmons, two out of three. I think that was Rick Rude's debut. What's that? 91's not our first one, right? No, 96 is. Is that next? Yeah. What's 96 again? 96 was Outsiders Harlem Heat, Malenko Mysterio. Main event was Hogan Macho with Macho. Hogan wearing the airpiece. And then Roddy Piper comes up. I mean, this really is a continuation of that. It is. It is. God, the main event's awful. The main event's awful for this one, definitely. Yeah. But you're talking Macho DDP. You like the Scott Hall Luger match. I did. You got Rey Mysterio, Eddie, All right, Jackie the, Disco. I mean, you really like the Okay, the main event is awful. I like the the rest of it a lot. I personal list, I think I'd put it number one. I think overall it goes two. Ugh. I'm already out of it already, so. See, I think this is the best one we've watched, personally. Crazy. That's just my own personal opinion so far. I mean, we got 98, 99, and 2000 coming up, so who knows? I don't remember any of those very fondly. Though. I was gonna say I don't think two thousand is gonna break it. But you think it's a number two, Kevin? I think I would put it. I'd put it at the number two spot. Educator believes it's like number five on the list. Yeah, yeah. I, I really do. All right, so we will put it right below nineteen ninety six's Halloween Havoc. So we have a new number two, and of course we have two new matches in the top five. So on next week's show, guys, we're discussing Halloween Havoc nineteen ninety eight. And the main event is, I don't know how this works, because does the main event get cut off? Oh, on the network? I don't know. On the network. I don't know. Take um, yeah, I might have to watch Probably the Probably going to be a three too. and a half hour pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Congratulations, <laughs> educator. Very excited about this. <laughs> uh, we're wait. talking Goldberg versus DDP in the main event. Or if that gets cut off, we're talking the one warrior nation taking on the NWO's Hollywood Hogan. I am excited for this one. 12 matches on the card. No, man. Only three of them over 10 minutes. I should just start it now. <laughs> Cannot wait. Very excited. Um, this should be a fun, fun evening. Of course, also, too, next week, guys, we are in December. 
we are going to have a big, big announcement about season three because we only have three more of these left, guys. Right. Season three of the house show. What, what should we do? Do we know yet? Why don't we hold it for next week? Let's hold it. Holding it for next week. All right. Uh, educator, what do you want to say to the people out there? Hey, hope you guys enjoy your turkey day. Hopefully you are uh, making smart choices. And if you're in New York, you're uh, in a group less than 10 <laughs> because the police are coming. If you're not, uh, I want to say thank you to the Retro Network for the opportunity to continue uh, for your continued support of our podcast and, uh, and allowing us to uh, be able to get together, hang out and just discuss retro goodness uh from 80s and 90s lore and 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 wrestling just one of the greatest greatest forms of entertainment on our planet want to say thank you to my two colleagues here it's always fun to hang out chit chat and discuss uh get different viewpoints uh, uh you know whether we agree or disagree on on things it's always fun to hear each other's perspective even though matt's wrong about the nasty boy steiners match that's fine um, want to say thank you to, uh, anyone tuning in, giving us your time again on, especially on this, uh, Turkey day here in the United States. Uh, hope you guys continue to enjoy our product and we would love to hear any feedback you have good, bad, uh, just on things that you think we could improve on as well as, uh, possible topics for us to consider exploring. Yeah. And I just want to say, I'm not wrong on the nasty boy Steiner match. I am correct on that. Um, I do want to give everyone a special thanks on this thanksgiving uh, a lot of big things coming up on the house show of course we have our santa with muscles episode uh coming up in four episodes after we go through 98 99 and 2000 of the halloween havocs uh you know what i think i'm going to do a blooper uh you know highlight episode that you know we talked about it earlier on the show we're going to decide that right now we will do an episode to round out the new year and then, of course, next week, we're going to make an announcement on what season three will be for. We're going to be in a new year by then. It's crazy to think we're already talking about that new year, saying this year has been five years long. So um, thank you, guys. Follow me on Twitter at Matty Treats and Kevin Hellions. Why don't you take us home? All right. Thanks, guys, for another great show. I wouldn't say either of you are wrong about the Nasty Steiners, but... uh. It doesn't matter who's wrong. Just remember who's great. Me. Thank you to Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you, WWE Network content. Thank you, Jason Gross and Richard Reeder for our logo. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. You can follow Matt at Mayday Treats. You can follow me at Mass Library. MassLibrary.com is the home blog. And the always mocked patreon.com slash mass library with my show notes. So you can see my extensive show notes for Eddie versus Ray for this match. Um, if you like show notes and homework, check out our friends at, at so with Wrestling. And today, whether you are someone a little too excited climbing into a cage or whether you're the turkey I'm about to devour later today, the three of us are going to destroy some tryptophans. That was awful, Kevin. Yeah. You should have ended it with whether you're home with your lovely or with your family. Enjoy your spread. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.